What's good, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast here on this Monday, May the 23rd, the year 2022. Jam-packed show, going to hit all the sports, going to hit NBA playoffs. Uh, I still haven't given my two cents on Chris Paul. I will sound off on him and the Phoenix Suns not showing up a week ago yesterday in Game 7 of their Western Conference semifinals uh, against the Dallas Mavericks. I'll sound off on them. Uh, give you my two cents as we are through the first uh, the first three games in the Western Conference, first two games of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to my Baltimore Orioles, who are actually uh, making news for all the right reasons this time. Adley Rutschman called up on Saturday, took two or three from Tampa. Three out of the last four games they've won has been a walk-off fashion. We'll get into that. Donaldson versus uh, Tim Anderson over the Jackie Robinson comment that caused up a dust-up at Yankee. Yankee Stadium this weekend, and in the PJ Championship, which we will discuss as far as the dramatics that occurred late Sunday night with the PJ Championship over in Oklahoma and Tiger Woods withdrawing, made the cut, but withdrawing out of the final round on Sunday, and I didn't have an opportunity to do this the last time me and you chatted, just been a very, 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 very busy, hectic week, my sincerest apologies, schedule should pick up, uh, as far as the show is concerned, I will be, you know, starting a two part-time jobs, but I won't have school to worry about, so if I'm not working, I'll be sitting behind this microphone talking to you guys uh, about the latest uh, infor- about the latest games and the latest items within the uh, sports world. Uh, so, which which I don't like because you know May one of the busiest, one of the best times on the sports calendar, and I've only done it's May twenty third. May is almost over, and I think I've done three shows within the month, which I'm not particularly proud of, and I haven't been uh, in lockstep with the uh, with the conference finals in the NBA as I have been in years past. But we will uh, see if we can get the show on a more consistent. Uh, a more cons- consistent schedule and get the uh, show on the right tracks. But I was bringing all that up to say I didn't have the opportunity to do it last episode. We will go through the at the schedules for the NFL teams of note heading into the 2022 season, which I did not get a chance to adjust. I talked about the schedule for an hour, and I still had a lot of stuff still on my mind, uh, still on my mind and chest to talk about in relations to the uh, 2022 NFL schedule being released about a what two weeks ago two and a half two weeks ago at this rate so we'll get to that a little bit later on in the program as well but where we will begin I will save Chris Paul and the Suns because they've all their old news at this point so we'll save them for a little bit later on in the program but where I will begin is with the where I will begin is with the uh the the conference finals in the NBA and I will do uh and I'll do the Western Conference Finals first and then we will get to the East and then take a break and then get the show moving. These uh, these uh Western uh, the East has been okay. The only pr- the only problem with the East is that the only problem with the East is that yes the games have been unpredictable and uh and and we couldn't end up having a seven game series. 
but but you know what but what came into my mind uh during Saturday night's game I said this series can end up be can end up being a seven game series but every single one of the seven games you know the the point differential will be more than 10 points where where it's a great series as far as you don't know who's going to win the unexpectedness players dropping like flies going to the locker room because of injury this that and the other but yet the games itself that make up the seven game series could be abs- could be absolute uh, snooze fest that came into my that came into my mind when I that came into my mind on um on uh Saturday night I was watching uh, Miami Boston I said this this series could go seven games. But not, but not one of the seven games could end. You know, would be, you know, you could say, ah, this was an all-time classic, uh, NBA, uh, uh, West uh, NBA conference finals, and yet this series could end up going seven games. But we'll save the East for we'll save the East stuff for last uh, in the opening segment and start off with the Western Conference Finals first. Uh, and this Western Conference Finals has just been a complete and utter dud. Uh, and, and, and realistically speaking, just an absolute snooze fest. I mean, the Western Conference Finals have been so bad and, dare I say, borderline unwatchable. The, the Golden State Warriors are just putting on a freaking clinic. There, there is, is, there's nothing, there's no other way for me to describe it. They are putting on a clinic against the Dallas Mavericks in this series. They got Steve Kerr back, who was out. Uh, who was out in the uh, in the latter portion of the uh, of the semi of of Golden State's semi conference finals uh, series against uh, Memphis, which they were very 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 fortunate to get out of. Um, but but ever since Steve Curtis come back, and I feel like that the greatest gift to the Warriors as far as their as far as their current um, their current championship push. The, you know, and them being in the conference finals for the first time since 2019, a long three years. If you're a Golden State Warrior fan, considering they were one of the worst teams in the sport, 2020, no Steph, no Clay, got bounced in the play-in tournament by Memphis last May around this time last year by uh, by the Memphis Grizzlies. So you know, and I get it. They've won a lot, and they are considered you know the 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 dynasty, the NBA's. Uh, dynasty of the mid of the mid 2010s you know the early 2000 you had the Lakers in 2010 and then you had uh, then you had the Miami Heat and the San Antonio Spurs kind of share that dynasty uh, top that dynasty title in the early 2010s and then by and then by uh, 20 and then come and then by the time 2015 rolled around it was Golden State's turn and from 2015 to 2018, the mid late 2010s, it was the Warriors. Then you had a nice little change of pace with the Raptors winning at the final year of the decade in 2019. 2020 comes around, the Warriors were a mess. Lakers, best team in the sport. COVID hits, take a few months off. They went in the bubble in October 2020. And then 2021, the Warriors don't make the playoffs again, get knocked out better in comparison to 2020. Steph's back, still no Clay Thompson, who they had lost prior to that season uh, with the uh, with the torn, with I believe, yeah, with the torn, um, I believe it was either the torn, it was the, it was the Achilles in the finals, and I believe the ACL came in November prior to the 2021 season and they had lost him 
got to the play-in tournament, got knocked out by Memphis, and and then they got Clay, and then they got Clay back about halfway through this season. They were able to keep their heads above water with uh, with Steph and Jordan Poole and Draymond Green out of the controls. They add Clay Thompson back. And they essentially have not looked back since. You know, they've been they've had, they've had their moments where they've kind of where they've mailed it in, where they've where they've half-assed it, uh, to to put it bluntly. In these, you know, throughout the, throughout the uh, game throughout their playoff games over the last month or so, perfect example. And I'll bring it up here in relation to how they shall approach Game Four. Game Four against Denver in the opening round, there was no excuse and no reason why. Uh, goals they could should couldn't have and shouldn't have swept uh, the Nuggets in the in the opening round game four in Denver at the Ball Arena on a Sunday afternoon. They uh, they fought around. They turn over the basketball at infinitum. They can't make their jump shots. They allow Jokic to take over the game. And uh, and and Thana and Thana also uh, was uh, wasn't good either. Is that gold? Is that heading into that game? You knew that the Denver Nuggets crowd was going to have to pick up the slack as far as emotional stability and pride and and adding an extra ounce of juice and lighting a a an, an extra flame, an extra fire underneath the Denver Nuggets uh, underneath the Denver Nuggets in that game four facing elimination. And facing elimination, and that crowd uh, certainly paid dividends, and they allowed the series to extend for one more game. Uh, but I'd take away the game five, they were very sloppy against uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, turn over the basketball at infinitum. Draymond Green, Aaron passes. They can't make their jump shot to live by the sword, die by the sword. That is a three-point shot. Allow John Morant and, and that and, and that sensational Memphis Grizzlies team to just take over. Draymond Green getting foul trouble. Steven Adams crashing the board, wreaking havoc. They were they were a totally different basketball team under the guidance of Mike Brown while Steve Kerr was out with COVID. And ever since Steve Kerr's come back, they have not looked back in this series. Game one, they beat the hell out of them, one twelve eighty seven. Curry twenty one points, twelve boards in that game was just absolutely off the freaking charts. Game two, they they game two was a little bit more was a little bit more entertaining than game one was because Memphis had a Memphis had a huge lead. Golden State pulls off the huge second half comeback. Uh, Luka Doncic, the uh, the Mavericks had uh, had well over a seventy. Po- they had seventy two points heading into halftime, and in the second half, they scored a combined uh, forty forty five. Then they scored forty five points in the second half after a seventy two first half performance. Luka Doncic. Uh, um, 42 points, 12 of, thir- 12 of 23 from the field, shot 50% from three, nearly perfect from the free throw line. Brunson, who had who did a phenomenal job in Dallas's opening series while Luka was out against Utah, had a sensational game, two, 31 points, 11 of 19, 5 of 7 from three. Uh, had a nice performance, but uh, Powell, their center, went quiet. He only played eight minutes. Uh, Kleber, their uh, their point guard, or excuse me, their their uh, power forward coming off the bench had a had a plus minus of negative twenty, scored three points, couldn't shoot the ball off a boat into the ocean, into the uh, into the uh, couldn't couldn't shoot the basketball off a boat into the uh, into the uh, San Francisco Bay was just absolutely atrocious. And and the Golden State Warriors, you know, show some mental toughness. They as a team shot fifty percent from the from three, fifty six percent from the field. Steph Curry sensational job, eleven of twenty one, six of ten from three. 
perfect from the free throw line, 32 points. Uh, uh, Clay Thompson had an off night, 6 of 10, 15 points. Jordan Poole coming off the bench also. What a playoffs he's had uh, in the last month. 70% from the field, 50% from three. Perfect from the free throw line, scored 23 points, had five assists and two steals in Golden State's Friday night comeback victory. It was close only because of the fact that uh, that Dallas was staying still and Gold State and Gold State had uh, had closed up the gap as far as as far as me- with uh, with Memphis's deficit Memphis with uh, with Dallas's uh, deficit they closed up the gap so there was moments where the game was very tight you know midway late in the fourth quarter where the game where the game was tight and you know Golden State where it was either up or up or down behind by a basket two baskets or or six points, three point, you know, two three pointers in the in the latter stages of the fourth quarter, and the crowd got into it, and it was just absolutely off the charts. Luca versus Steph Curry, whatever you can do, I can do better. You know, ha- essentially having a three point contest in the middle of an NBA playoff game, but uh, outside, but that was but that was short lived. And of course, the final score one twenty six one seventeen didn't come down to the final basket. Or come down to who had the ball last in the, or who had the ball last in the, uh, in the in the uh, in the fourth quarter, but uh, but outside of that, and I'll get to Sunday's game in a minute. Outside of that, you know, it, it has been a very very underwhelming to put it to put it at best. It has been a very underwhelming. And uh, and lackluster and dare I say dull, boring. Well, I shouldn't say dull, and I shouldn't say boring, but an unwatchable uh, NBA Western Conference Finals. Unwatchable. Unwatchable at times, and it's not really necessary because of Golden State per se. It's because Dallas just hasn't shown up. They showed up first half game two. Great, you got to play the you got to play the second half. They did not. Game one, they were atrocious. Sunday night, uh, with the game in their building, even though they lost by nine, they were a little better. They, they it's still, it's still what, it still was not good enough. You know, with with Golden State, it's it's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Okay, we we know the Golden State Warriors with with Steph, Clay, and Draymond are a championship level basketball team. We've seen they, we all know any basketball fan that's worth their salt knows that 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 the Golden State Warriors are are going to be just fine without Kevin Durant. They were they were fantastic, won a championship, and won seventy three games without him, and they're going to be just fine to be championship contenders. You know how and how long he's been gone for a minute in Golden State. We well they're going to be just fine. Without Kevin, without Kevin Durant across the country, uh, playing for the playing for the Brooklyn Nets. So this isn't anything that we have that we have that we as basketball fans haven't seen before. The only change of the only the only change of pace that's different is Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole's contributions. Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole, excuse me, has had a very 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 good exceptional. Outstanding playoffs in the last month or so has done an absolutely sensational job coming off the bench and did a sensational job when he was in the starting lineup when Steph was coming off the bench while he was still when excuse me when he was still trying to get his feet underneath him coming off of injury in the Denver series 
back in back in late April. And Andrew Wiggins also a sensational job as well. Those are the only two things. Wiggins, Jordan Poole. Everything else, it, it's it's deja vu with the Golden State Warriors. And the fact that and the fact they play in a new city and and, and they got the Chase Center bouncing the way Oracle did. From uh, from fifth from fifteen to nineteen, but outside outside of uh, outside of a different arena, different city, and two players, it's pretty, it's pretty much the same story. Draymond does what he does, gets in foul trouble, plays plays great defense, hustles, grabs the rebounds, uh, plays plays with the plays with that feisty edge. He had he got uh, five rebounds, five assists, two steals, and a block. Uh, and scored 10 points, 50% from the field Draymond did on Sunday night. He does what he does, throwing Steph Curry, 10 of 25 of 10 from 3, 31 points, 5 rebounds, 11 assists, sensational job by him. Klay Thompson's going to have nights where 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 he's still a little rusty, but but when Klay's clicking, clicking like he was game 6 again like he was game 6 against uh against Memphis Against Memphis, he was absolutely sensational. Clay Thompson is just going to ride the hot hand, and he can't. And he can. He's just going to get into one of those grooves where he can do no wrong. Six eighteen from the field last night. 19, 19 points from Clay Thompson, and then and then of, and then of course uh, factor into Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins' uh, contributions. Wiggins was absolutely sensational. Had a monster dunk, posterized Luca eleven to twenty from the field, nearly perfect from the free throw line. Twenty seven points, 11, 11 rebounds, three assists. But the Golden State Warriors have put on an absolute freaking clinic, and and the Dallas Mavericks, ironically enough, are not a very good basketball team. When Luca scored, I believe they've only they've only won two games this season where Luca has scored more than forty points. You know, double edged sword. You need to, you need your best player to play great, but it's at a detriment with Dallas where it's Luca versus five guys. It's it's five v one instead of five v five, and Luca takes over the game, scores all the points, and the re- and the rest of his players don't do a damn thing. Dimwitty had a ni- had a nice game though, coming off the bench, played thirty two minutes, uh, seven to thirteen from the field, twenty six points, two rebounds, and assists, shot forty percent from three, and uh, and Jalen Brunson wasn't too shabby either, seven to twelve, shot fifty percent from three. Uh, twenty and a twenty point night from him, but outside of Brunson who scored twenty, Dimwitty who scored a, a nice twenty six, Luka Doncic didn't get much help. Bullock, Randy Bullock played, uh, played um, or not uh, excuse me, uh, Randy Bullock played forty. Excuse me, not Randy. I'm thinking of uh, uh, the uh, kick the um, kick the uh, kicker in the in the in the NFL. Reggie Bullock, I apologize, scored forty points, didn't make a single basket. I mean, come on, you're you're starting the NBA. It's a playoff game, game three, and you're building it out. Two nothing plays forty minutes, takes ten shots, didn't make one of them. Took seven threes, did not make one of them. Not good enough. Two starters and a player coming off the bench scoring twenty points. It, that's you're not go, you're not going to beat Golden State playing like that. Then we nice game, but where's where's Reggie Bullock? Where's uh, DFS? Where's uh, Powell your center? I, I understand Powell only played eight minutes, but but Finney Smith forty two points scored nine. 
Gotta give me a little bit more than that. From from a power forward. Gotta give me more than that. And again, Luca can't do it by himself, as 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 we've seen. The others have stepped up. They stepped up in game seven against Phoenix, which we'll get to uh, after the break. They stepped up in the series against Utah. Brunson picking up the slack, of course, aforementioned when Luca wasn't there. And uh, and Dimwitty has had a has had a nice little uh, play, has had a nice little playoff performance in recent time, but but your others got to step up. It cannot be the Luka Doncic show where okay, you guys just get the hell out of my way. I'll shoot the basketball and score forty points, and we'll and, we'll tr- and me one person will try to outscore that team with with two players on it that can score thirty plus in their sleep. Not to mention Wiggins helping out. Not to mention Jordan Poole coming off the bench. Not championship level uh, play from the Dallas Mavericks. And I told people all across the internet, and if I was, and if I would have done a show prior to Game One in this series, I would have came on here and told you guys the same thing. I just, especially after the game, I'd have been like, guys, this series, this series is not going any further. Any further than five games. People, I tw- uh, Twitter group chats. I have said it. Tw- go, 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 if you go uh, on my Twitter uh, mentions. Swear to you, swear on, swear on, swear on the Bible before God. Come on, tell the truth on this one. If you would have told me. Prior to game one, especially after game one, I'd have been like, Golden State, their best chance of them getting knocked out would have been either if the Suns would have won game seven or if Memphis would have forced the game seven and would have beaten them in their building. That That is the only chance that, 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 that Golden State would have had of getting bounced from going to the NBA Finals. Phoenix winning game seven last week or Memphis tying the series up at three games apiece to send a game seven uh, to Memphis and went and winning a game seven in Memphis that those two combinations were the those two scenarios were the only thing stopping Golden State from going to the NBA finals because I said because I because I, I should have looked at I was like Golden State's not gonna win this series. They got too much. They they got too much firepower, too much experience. Like the, the, like this matchup's a done deal. Like you might as well hand them the Western Conference uh, Finals Championship trophy. Roll the credits. That's it. I understand you got to play the games, but it's it. Series is going no far, no further than five games. And look what happened. It's already three zip. No further than five games. I said it prior and after the game set and after the game one embarrassment that I saw, I was like, I know for sure this series ain't going further than five games at maximum. Golden State's just too freaking good. Steve Kerr's too experienced, too good of a coach, and this team, this roster is too experienced. Keep in mind the keep in mind the 
Mavericks are only about a month removed from winning their first playoff series since they won the 2011 NBA Finals. So think about that. They haven't played they haven't played this deep into the playoffs in over 10 years. And never prior to this year with the core and the group that they have now. Again, like I previously stated, I'll say it again. Golden State, it's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Literally. Yes, no Kevin Durant is yes, no Kevin Durant. But they don't need Kevin Durant to be a championship level basketball team. They don't need him. Steph Clay. Those two are fine. Throw in Draymond Green, and then a couple of added pieces that they've gotten over the, you know, from the, uh, you know, the fruits of their label of their labor of being, of being a ho hum, mediocre slash bad basketball team in 2020 and 2021. There with with Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Bull. I mean. You know, you know what it is. It's a, you know what, you know what it is. It's the San Francisco, you, you know, it's the San Francisco Forty ers having a top. I believe they had the top ten draft pick. I they had a top ten draft pick in two thousand and twenty one. I believe, no, in two thousand twenty one, off of the twenty twenty. Yeah, I believe they did. I believe they did. That's that's what's that's what's what's crazy, a team that has a bad year. That's a championship level contender, championship level team, has a bad year. Injuries, whatever the reason, they have a bad year. They stink for a year out of the clear blue sky. Nobody saw nobody saw it coming. I mean, you did with Golden State, but you get the idea. You stink for a year. You get a top draft pick. You get one of the highest and one of the best prospects coming out of uh, coming out of college. Lottery picks, ping pong balls, uh, cap room, lots of cap room. This, that, and the other. Knowing that you're knowing that the players that you have on your roster, where your bread is buttered, your top level superstar players on your team, they're coming back off of injury with experience. Lo and behold. 2020 49ers were in the toilet. 2021 49ers were right back where they were in 2019. Playing in the NFC Championship game. Golden State playing in the same city, San Francisco. Same story. Championship level basketball team. A level basketball team. This time I like San Francisco with rings and hardware to prove it. Championship level basketball team. Championship level talent. Have a down year, collect some draft picks, collect ping pong balls, go out there and and, and, and and get a couple guys in free agency and trades and this, that, and the other, and they retool and they're and they're just as good as they were a few years ago, if not better. Cause with Golden State, they also got younger too. Wiggins gonna be around for a while. Jordan Poole's gonna be around for a while. So you got youth. You got the young youth, which you got as a reward for you having a down year, plus the superstar veterans who have championship-level experience and the championship-level experience. Coach, perfect match. Perfect match. And Dallas doesn't have a chance in hell 
You can write that down. The Dallas Mavericks don't have a chance in hell to win game four. Not a chance. Golden State will have to wait a good week before they play basketball again after thir- after Tuesday night. Now, the ca- the catcher is, or excuse me, the catch is Golden State cannot phone, cannot phone it in, cannot mail it in, cannot half-ass it the way they did game four in Denver a month ago. They cannot do it because if you do that, you're playing with fire. Next thing you know, Dallas is energized and you're looking at a six, seven game series when it could have been over in four. So if you go in state, don't fool around. Do not fool around. Take a break. Just getting started. The Amatelica TIS podcast will continue. Back in the flash. This album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I'll never amount to nothing. To all the people that lived above the buildings that I was hustling from that called the police on me when I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. Yeah, yeah. And to all my peoples in the struggle, you know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? The hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight because I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kick and Free. Fuck Master Flex, Love Bug Star Ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Uh, and if you don't know, now you know. You know. Welcome back. Would have been the 50th birthday this past Saturday of the one and only Notorious B.I.G. Christopher Wallace, Biggie Smalls himself as we welcome you back to the Amatelica T.I.S. podcast. Um, switching gears now from the Western Conference Finals in the NBA to the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA, which has been a much more intriguing series, and I'll get to Chris Paul and the Suns in a minute, but it has been a much more intriguing series compared to the latter in the West, but it has been a, it's, well, part of the reason why it's been so intriguing is because you don't know who's going to win from game to game, hell, from quarter to quarter. I mean, you look, you look at how the, how the Boston Celtics came out in game one. And if I had, and if you, if I would either would have been on at halftime or if I would have been on the following Wednesday, out of say, you look at the Boston Celtics, you know, they had one day off in between their game seven. Now it was a blowout, and they did a phenomenal job shutting down, eliminating, and sending home the defending champs for the summer. But look at them, they did a sensational job winning game seven in their own building against the defending champs in Milwaukee. They had one day off, which 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 ended up being have to be a travel day for them, fly down south to Miami. With, a, with one 24-hour increment period in between games, in between series, and they go out there and they punch the Miami Heat in the proverbial mouth and go, and and had a strong halftime lead. Jason Tatum, whole nine yards, was absolutely sensational in the first half. As a matter of fact, the halftime score 
The halftime score was uh, was 62-54 Boston. So they were so they were up a little shy. Of, they were up eight points heading into the half. Jason Tatum had a sensational first half for Boston, and then the wheels fell off in the third quarter with Miami scoring scoring an absolutely sensational improv well, I shouldn't say improbable. That's you know me going a little bit strong. But Miami just going absolutely just ridiculous. Jimmy Butler scoring forty one points in absolute clinic. They outscored the Celtics in the third quarter the Miami Heat did in game one. Thirty nine to fourteen. Thirty nine fourteen. The Heat lost quarters. If you're going by who won each quarter, the Heat lost the first quarter, 28-25. The second quarter, 34-29. They even lost the fourth quarter, 31-25. And yet they found a way to beat the Boston Celtics by 11 points. How? They dominated them in the third quarter, 39-14. Jimmy Butler, 41 points. Uh, 41 points, shot 12 to 19 from the field, nine rebounds, three assists, a sensational night from him. Tyler Hero coming off the bench. He's the sixth man of the year for a reason, folks. I mean, Tyler Hero is one sensational, just electrifying basketball player coming off the bench for Miami. Seven to 15 from the field, 18 points, eight rebounds. Three assists, hell of a night from the Miami Heat. From the Miami Heat. Meanwhile, the Boston Celtics. I mean, it, it was it was like watching two different teams in two different basketball games. They were they were sensational. They they were they played with fire, drove to the basket, uh, created plays. Everything that you saw from the Boston Celtics, it basically was a carryover from the way they played Game Seven against Milwaukee. Halftime came, and the Celtics' brains were still in the locker room. Their bodies were out there on the floor, but their but their but their brain and their mindset was stuck in the second half, and the, and they never recovered in the third quarter. And my and as we all know, throughout this entire season, the Miami Heat have been one of the best third quarter basketball teams this season in the universe, and they certainly went out there and proved it in Game One, beating them one eighteen one oh seven. And then Game Two comes around on Thursday night. And you know, and we and, and this, what did the Boston Celtics do? They put on the same clinic in the first two and ha- the first two quarters, like they did, did like they did in Game One. The only difference is they were they didn't let the Miami Heat go crazy in quarter number three. Tied they is if you care what of how many uh, points both teams scored in the third quarter, it was dead even at twenty six apiece. But the Boston Celtics go on and beat. Miami by 25 points in game two. Um, Smart and Al Horford return. That was also was another key loss uh, with uh, with uh, with the Celtics. The Celtics coming off uh, one game in between series since the game seven against against Giannis in Milwaukee. They had no Marcus Smart and they had no Al Horford. And for about the first half of play, it looked like it didn't matter. Then all of a sudden the Heat turn on the switch and it's like oh holy crap the the Celtics Jason Tatum's great but he, but with no Al Horford and no Marcus Smart the the Boston Celtics are severely compromised they get them back in Game Two what is the story Al Horford uh, has Al Horford has a sensational night goes goes two or two perfect from three two or two perfect from the field three rebounds three assists on the night. 
uh, gets uh, and uh, and gets a steal and a, gets a steal and a block, a plus minus, a plus sixteen. If you're into that stat, Jason Tatum, twenty seven points, a steal, five assists, perfect from the free throw line, damn near perfect from three, four, six, eight of thirteen from the field, a sensational job. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart combined for four, combined for forty eight points, a sensational job by them. Not to mention Williams, their power forward, coming off the bench, uh, get, racking up nineteen. Points himself just an absolutely. So they played all four quarters. The Celtics did what you didn't see in game one. They played all four quarters. They didn't necessarily win the third quarter because it was dead even statistically by the points. It was dead even. It was dead even in the third quarter, but they did not lose the third quarter. And and from Miami and Miami Heat, you know, in that game. Jimmy Butler, twenty nine. Jimmy Butler, twenty nine points. Vincent had fourteen, but PJ Tucker, Bam Adebayo did not show up. Tyler Hero, a lot left to be desired with 11 points. Victor Oladipo, 14 points as well. But then you fast forward to Game Three on Saturday night, and in Miami, of course, up two games to one, went in the first game at the TD Garden in this series with uh, with Game Four here on this Monday night, uh, beating beating Boston 109-103. And with Boston, what the huge huge Achilles heel in the game was on Saturday night was turnovers. The Boston Celtics turned over the basketball 24 times in the game on in game two oh, in game excuse me game three on Saturday, 24 times. The Miami Heat only turned it over nine times. I'll say it again: Miami nine turnovers, Boston 24. And it was a miracle of all miracles that the Boston Celtics, now I get it, Jimmy Butler got injured in the middle of the game and it was injuries all over the place from beginning to end. My goodness. It's like I was watching, was, am I watching Dolphins Patriots? Am I watching uh, Heat Celtics? I mean, it was just injuries all over the place. Jason Tatum is down. Marcus Smart is down. Uh, the Jimmy Butler. I mean, it's just injuries all over the place. But again, a miracle of all miracles that the Boston Celtics uh, only lost that game by three by uh, by six points because because they were atrocious atrocious turning over the bat. I mean, just see, simple easy inbound passes they screwed up. They would turn over the basketball left and right. I mean, just not good whatsoever. They as a team, uh, they as a team shot only seventy six percent from the free throw lines. Left seven points on the board, twenty three of thirty. Uh, at the free throw line. Also, another thing that attributed to Miami winning, they absolutely dominated in the paint. Outscoring Miami is, with their points in the paint, 48 to 34. Uh, 48 to 34 points in the paint. And, my, and Miami led as many as 26. Boston never led in, in the game on Saturday night. Never led. But you got to give tremendous credit to Bam Adebayo, who stepped up big time, 42 minutes of play, 15 to 22, 10 rebounds, crashed the board like it was nobody's business, six assists, 31 points on the night. Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry played his part as well. Struess, the shooting guard, uh, 16 points, shot 50% from the field, uh, four of seven from three, uh, and uh, PJ Tucker also, who they got from Milwaukee, provided a little bit of a championship, 
like-minded uh, presence within the locker room, scores 17 points. Meanwhile, as meanwhile, when you look at Boston, Jason Tatum, atrocious night at the office, 3 of 14, 1 of 7 from 3, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, Al Horford, though, uh, pick, did his best, did as much as he could to pick up the sack. He had 20 points in the night, 14 rebounds. And Jalen Brown, a sensational night from him. He struggled He struggled at times throughout the, throughout the periods of this game where it looked like he, he couldn't, you know, where he couldn't shoot the ball off a boat into the Boston Harbor. But 14 to 20 from the field's nothing to sneeze at. Made three threes on the night, 40 points, nine rebounds, and assists on the night. From uh, from Jalen Brown, the Boston Celtics shooting guard, as the Celtics look to take uh, look to take Game Four in their building on Monday night. But it has been an absolutely sensational, ridiculous series. Like I said in the opening segment, you know this series has has an opportunity to go to full seven games, and yet not one of the seven games end up being end end up being close. By the way, just give a couple of notes here. Thursday, Eric Spolstra's eighth career uh, playoff loss by 25 points or more. That's the most by any coach in Heat history. All with with all of the coaches combining for five such five uh, excuse me such losses. Also, another news: uh, Smart now Horford returning to the lineup. Of course, in Game Two, uh, sensational contributions. Horford held Miami two of nine from fi- from the field, forced four turnovers as the primary defender. Smart led the Celtics in assists in Game Two with twelve. Boston was twelve of fifteen from the field. Office passes also held Miami to three of eleven from the field as a primary defender. Uh, is there anything else I want to give you? Game one, Butler 41, 9 and 5, four steals. Uh, he joins LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Paul Pierce, Allen Iverson, the GOAT Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, and Larry Bird. The other players in NBA history to have 45, 5 and 4 games in playoff history. Uh, let me see if I can give you another stat. I love giving you the stats here. Butler, fifth uh, playoff game in his career with 40 points on 60% shooting percentage. Tied with Tar- Charles Barkley for the third most in the last 30 postseasons. Only player to do that, LeBron James, 12 times. Shaquille O'Neal did it eight. Uh, let's see if I can give you one more. Um, this is uh, this is game. T- this is going back to game one uh, in the second half with the Celtics' futility, in the, especially in the third quarter. Celtics shot two of fifteen from the field. That's thirteen percent in the third quarter. Their worst shooting percentage in any quarter over the last four seasons in regular season play. Or in the playoffs, Boston one of twelve on contestant shots in the third quarter after making fifteen of their first thirty-one in the first half. That is another interesting stat that I got a hold of. Jason Tatum, first Celtics player with 20 points and 5 assists in the first half of a playoff game since Rajon Rondo completely fell off the face of the earth in the second half of Game 1. The Celtics' 25-point halftime lead and Game 1, largest halftime lead for the Celtics in a road playoff game, excluding the games that they played in the bubble. 17th time the Celtics in playoff history in which they had scored 70 points in a single half. Do I have another one for you here on my little sheet? Uh, let me see, let me see. Oh, here's one. Here's one that you'll really go, wow, holy crap. Out of the 12 quarters, we're three games in, do the math, four, four times three, that's 12. 12 quarters, the 12th, first 12 quarters of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Miami Heat have only won two of them. 
and yet they're up two games to one in the series. The two quarters that they won, game the third quarter in game one, and the fourth quarter in game three. Ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. That's the story with the Ethan. Heading into game four, you let we I, I honestly God have no idea and have no idea what the heck to expect. Doesn't look like uh, doesn't look like um, uh, Butler is doesn't look like Jimmy Butler's going to play in Game Four. Uh, so it should be uh, here. We go we get the Miami injury update. Uh, Butler with a knee, Kyle Lowry hamstring, Struce with a hamstring, PJ Tucker with a knee, Tyler Hero with a groin. All listed to play is questionable for the Celtics. Um, and that was at, and that was as of uh, Sunday late afternoon Sunday morning. Uh, this is from the Miami Heat today. Tyler Hero groin ruled out of Game Four tonight against Boston. Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Max Schrus, Gabe Vincent, PJ Tucker will warm up on on Monday night with the intentions to play. So no uh, Tyler Hero coming off the bench, Sixth Man of the Year for Miami. We'll see how much that hinders Miami and it helps. The uh, and it helps the Boston Celtics heading into Game Four tonight. If you ask me who who I think is going to win, I would expect Boston to tie this series up in two games apiece. These uh, these two teams have all so far throughout the first three games in this series, the two teams have alternated wins. Miami won Game One, Boston won Game Two, Miami won Game Three. Expect Boston to win Game Four in their building. They're too good of a basketball team. They are ve- they are very good at home. Their crowd's going to be in with. They're gonna there's going to be a, a, a sense of urgency. Let's hey guys, let's not go back down to Miami with the opportunity for them to to win the Eastern Conference Championship on their home floor this you know this is boston boston you know the td garden bird havel check uh bob Cousy, shout out mad dog uh bill russell paul pierce uh the kevin garnett there's going to be that presence okay eastern conference finals time guys we're at home we gotta win and take care of business tonight to make sure that we're heading back we're going back to miami in a couple of days playing in a game five knowing that we have an extra game to work with in our back pocket to force a game six rather than fall down lose this game lose get swept at home lose the two games in our own building fly back down to miami with a 3-1 deficit and have to and have to essentially win three games in a row to force game seven win four games in a row to win the series winning an eastern conference championship and to avoid losing the Eastern Conference on the road, watching them celebrate in their home arena down in South Beach. But Game Four should be very interesting. I'm look. I'm greatly looking forward to it. Now, what I have been waiting to harp on for the last eight days or so is Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns, who quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, embarrassed themselves in front of the American sporting public on Sunday, May the 15th. The Phoenix Suns were not bad. They weren't awful. They weren't embarrassing. They were pathetic and offensive to the Census. The fact that they could not get up 
and play a game seven in their building with any sense of passion, emotion, fervor, whatever heart, whatever word you want to use, whatever word you want to find in the dictionary or in your handy dandy thesaurus, any word would be appropriate because they just did not show up. I, and I'm sorry, when you had the league, not Western Conference, but had the NBA League's best 64 wins this season. You had the NBA's best record, number one seed in the Western Conference. And oh, by the way, you are the defending Western Conference champions and the NBA runners-up from last season. For you to lose a game seven in your own building the way you did to the Dallas Mavericks who ha- who are just, co- after that, as I mentioned in the opening segment, who are just coming off their first ever playoff series win in 11 years is completely, completely inexcusable and indefensible. And I'm sorry. I love him. And I like the guy, and I like the coach as much as the next guy. He's got a heart of gold. A, I'm, I'm pretty sure a nice and a a nice man and a gem of a human being. But I'm sorry, Monty Williams. If your team cannot get up for a home game seven and perform and, and subject America to the garbage, garbage that was that I saw last Sunday night. I you gotta take a little bit. You gotta take a severe, severe, big time blow in the NBA coaching rankings, as far as I'm concerned. Because there's because there's no there's no defending that. I'm sorry. Some it's it's got to. I understand the players play and you can't control the players, but right from the opening tip, the Phoenix Suns had no energy. They had no heart. They had no passion. They were a, they were dead man walking. They had as they had they were a dead caucus from the opening tip to the final buzzer. It wasn't a situation where they matched Dallas blow for blow, and for whatever the reason they and for whatever the reason they ran out of steam, or it wasn't like they got a bad bounce or a bad whistle, or or somebody made a great play, and they lost to Dallas by a basket or so. That did not happen. No Scott Foster ref ball was involved in the massacre that I saw in Phoenix over a little over a week ago. It wasn't like halftime came, or middle of the third quarter came, or the fourth quarter came, where the Celtics turned on the switch, and the Phoenix Suns, for whatever reason, ran out of gas. No. They were flat as they were as flat as a pancake with no eggs. Right from the opening tip. They were pathetic. Pathetic. Devin Booker, top ten player of the NBA. There is no excusing under any circumstances. None whatsoever to go three or four, three or fourteen from the field. Turn over the basketball four times and only score 11 points. There's no excuse. There's no excuse why Crowder only put up five points. There's no excuse why Michael Bridges put up six points. 
Aiton scored five points. And I hear that there's a beef between 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 Aiton and and and, uh, and Monty Williams. Who we'll never know. And that was part of the reason why he didn't play as much. He only played 17 minutes again. Well, we will never know. And there are going to be a ton of teams in free agency coming up later this summer that are going to be knocking on Andre Ayton's door to get him to come to their team. Because he he's a very good center in this league and, and deserves to play in this league and deserves to play on a championship contender. But his performance, as, as limited of a simple size it was, his performance... Not 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 a a lot left to be desired. I, and when when Luka Doncic scores matches as much points in 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 one half as you guys score, that's a twenty seven point. That's inexcusable. Come inexcusable and embarrassing. And finally, Chris Paul. You know, I I heard and I hear it all the time. Chris Paul is this. Chris Paul is that. Point God this. Point God that. One of the greatest point guards in the history of the NBA. I hear it all the time about Chris Paul's quote-unquote greatness. Well, here is Chris Paul's quote-unquote greatness in a nutshell. He has lost, and this isn't necessarily football where you can only play one side of the, where you can only play one side of the ball, or baseball where there's eight other players you have to depend on. Basketball, you play both ways. Basketball is probably is basketball is on a very short list of team sports where. It can be dominated by where the game where a game can be dominated by one person, by one singular player. And basketball is one of those sports. Yes, it's five on five. Yes, it's a team sport, but all it takes is for one special type of, of, of talent caliber of a player to be on the court and the game is changed like that. The team that that the player plays on is better just like that. And albeit Chris Paul makes teams better in the regular season. And in that element, he's better than Russell Westbrook. He makes teams better in the regular season. He does. He provides a veteran leadership within the locker room. That he does. But the bottom line is is that Chris Paul is in the conversation of the James Hardens and the Russell Westbrooks of the world where you cannot win a championship with him on your roster. You can't. He has blown a 2-0 lead in the Western Conference semifinals up 2-0 in 2008. Uh, against the Spurs, lost in seven games and collapsed. 2013 Western Conference semifinals against Memphis. 2-0 lead, lost in six, his team collapsed. 2016 Western Conference semifinals against Portland. 2016, up 2-0, lost in six, his team collapsed. The F- NBA Finals this last July against Milwaukee, up two games to none, had the Bucks on the ropes and collapsed, and Chris Paul flat out <coughs> disappeared. This year, up two games to none, 
best record in the NBA. Home court advantage. Up two games to none against Dallas. And fumbles the bag and loses in seven games. Like it, loathe it, lump it, I don't care. That is Chris Paul's legacy. Whether you think it's fair or unfair, it doesn't matter. When Luka Doncic in the first half scored 27 points, went 9 of 12 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, and the Suns as a team scored 27 points, 10 of 41, 3 of 14 from 3, 20 rebounds, only 5, that rebounded Luka, I give him that, but 3 of 14 from 3, uh, 10 of 41 from the field and equal and scored as much points as one particular player on the Dallas Mavericks did in the first half of a game seven at home to go to the Western Conference Five. You cannot defend that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. It falls on Monty Williams, it falls on Devin Booker, and it falls on Chris Paul. And all I hear about is Chris Paul this, Chris Paul that, one of the greatest point guards ever played the NBA, play, play in the NBA, this, that, and the other, and he completely spit up his dinner. In his own building in a game seven and got showed up by 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 a young whippersnapper that dropped twenty seven points right in his face with a cocky look at that you like that I'm better than you attitude that 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 that, that makes Michael Jordan say who. He didn't just beat the Suns in Game 7. He ripped their heart out and spat on it and dared them to do something about it. The Phoenix Suns in their building straight up got punked. They did not have the lead during any point of that Game 7. Not one time. Chris Paul... "Quote unquote point guard, first player to blow a uh, to blow not one, not two, not three, not four, but five, five, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, five, two o series leads. First player to ever do that in the seventy five year history of the National Basketball Association. He." was flat out embarrassing. Embarrassing. They scored 10 points in the second quarter. Devin Booker and Paul in the first half combined 0 of 11 from the field, 0 of 4 from 3. Pathetic. Mavericks led by as many as... 46 points, or excuse me, led by 46 points in the fourth quarter. Tied sixth largest lead in in a playoff game in NBA history. And again, one more time, Lucas scored as many points in the first half as the entire Phoenix Suns team did. 
and I got to hear about Chris Paul being a big-time top five, top ten greatest point guard in the history of the National Basketball Association, blasphemous. Blasphemy. Not a chance. Not after that performance. Number one seed, defending Western Conference champions, game seven in your own, in your own building. And you spit the bit and perform like that. Are you kidding me? And allow Luka Doncic, a young player, coming off of his first ever playoff series win in his young NBA career, and he drops 27 in your mouth like it's going out of style. Devin Booker was pathetic too, but he's got time. He's got time. He's got, he's got time, and he's not the person being talked about Along the likes of of, 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 of of Bob Cousy, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas as one of the best point guards in the history of the NBA. Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Steph Curry. He's not in, he, his name isn't in that conversation. Now, he's a shooting guard, not a point guard, but you get the idea. Plus, Devin Booker's got time. So, albeit he was pathetic and downright embarrassing and shameful too, he's got time. He's not he he's not he's not run his NBA career isn't running on borrowed time. Father time isn't creeping up uh, Chris Paul with every with every winning birthday knocking on his door saying, "You know what time it is, don't you?" Monty Williams too. He was downright pathetic too and deserves to take some hits for that. Wasn't all Chris Paul's fault, don't get me wrong. The team the team was lethargic and had no energy and had no juice right from the opening tip. That falls on the head coach. But Monty Williams is young in his NBA coaching career. He he's he's got he's got time to write the to write the wrong Devin Booker too. They got time to write the wrong of this debacle that took place over a week ago. I understand Chris Paul's coming back, but Chris Paul ain't getting any younger. He's thirty seven years age, and ever since his birthday at the beginning of the month of May, he was he's been downright atrocious and offensive to watch. Shoot the basketball. It's been disgusting. All I heard about was Chris Paul this, Chris Paul that, Chris Paul Cancun on three. One, two, three, retirement home. Back after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now from NBA basketball to a couple of uh, things, two baseball-related and one golf-related. I what didn't plan on talking golf, but uh, you know, some uh, some things sometimes stuff in sp- uh, sports talk shows and uh, you know write themselves with the way the sports world is. Um, I will begin with my Baltimore Orioles and Adley Rutschman. 
the number one uh, prospect in all of baseball, got called up on Saturday. Uh, got called up on Saturday uh, as the Orioles were taken or in the middle of a, of a uh, home weekend series, taking on the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they lost the game six one, and I will get to the Orioles in a minute because Lord Jesus, what a la- what the la- the uh, not counting Saturday's game, but even Saturday's game was special because it was Rutschman's debut. Got called up on Saturday, batted uh batted sixth in the lineup, caught uh caught uh he went one for one for three with a walk. And his first major league career hit, like Manny Machado and Matt Wieters who came before him, was a triple. Uh, Orioles lost the game 6-1, but that's not a hand nor there. The Orioles finally called him up. Uh, the Orioles fan base has been uh, pounding the drum and, and on their hands and knees, uh, begging that the Orioles uh, that the Orioles quit farting around and and, uh, and call Rutschman up. Excuse me, and make his major league debut. He was originally supposed to be on the opening day roster. At least that was that that is what was planned out of spring training. Had a little bit of an injury towards the latter end of uh, spring training, which prohibited uh, his uh, which prohibited the beginning of his major league uh, of his major league journey. Had to sit. Had to still stay put in the minor leagues for about a month or for about a month or so. Uh, he wasn't in the lineup. I forget. Uh, where the uh, where the Norfolk Tides were playing on Friday, but I saw that he was not in, that he was not in the lineup uh, in for uh, for Norfolk on Friday's game, uh, and people you know suspected you know well, are they are they going to call him up? You keeping him out the lineup to prohibit injury? This that and the other. You heard you heard sound bites from Brandon Hyde, the Orioles organization. You know, we'll call him. We'll call him up. Uh, you know, when he feels like that, he's ready. We're not going to, you know, risk anything. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to uh, speed up the process anymore. You know, anymore to the point where we're, you know, that we prohibit his growth and development as a player. So you know, just going to hang tight, and you know, whenever he's ready to be called up, that's when we'll, uh, that's when we'll give him the promotion. Well, lo and behold, he stays out the lineup Friday. Uh, he was told late Friday. He was told late Friday night after the after the Tides game. Uh, he was told in his introductory press conference on Saturday afternoon that he had that he and the team had hung around within the clubhouse afterwards because they were watching the absolute uh, thrilling game it was between the Orioles and the Rays on Friday, which we we'll get to in a minute. That went 13 innings. And the video that the Orioles tweeted out on their Twitter page and on their social media on Saturday morning showed video of him being told by Norfolk Tides manager Buck Britton, the brother of former Orioles stellar closer himself, Zach Britton, uh, was told that you know he was going to get promoted up to the major leagues uh, to be a part of the to go up to Camden Yards if, to suit up for the Orioles for their Saturday night game against Tampa. Uh, and then, of course, the whole world found out about it uh, about I want to say about roughly eight in the eight o'clock in the eight o'clock hour of uh, of Saturday morning. It was 
And I, the only reason why I don't know specifically for sure is because I, and if you saw on my Twitter page at the J Shield, I put together, I tweeted out a little video as I was making my way down to the uh, down to the field at the local uh, park that I uh, that I love to run at during the uh, late during the uh, spring and summertime. I was walking down, getting ready to, for my Saturday morning run, which I hadn't done in quite a long, which I hadn't done in quite a long time. Uh, and about a little, t- about not necessarily halfway through, but about three fourths of the way through my run, I, you know, ha- you know, I, I had my phone on, on fitness, do not disturb on my iPhone and I click and I, and I click, Oh, well, what notifications do I have? Just in case, you know, anything, nothing, you know, nothing, nobody's calling me, trying to get in touch with me because of any emergencies or whatever. And I saw, you know, notification and uh on instagram and i you know replied to a dm or whatever and i go to my opening opening uh you know the first post that pops up on my instagram feed it's the mass and orioles uh adley you know he's coming up or whatever it said um or he's i forget i think it was he's here it might have been what it was and Adley's coming up, and I'm like oh holy oh wow Adley's coming up and this that, and the other and it was ironic because a little bit before that, I was going through my Twitter feed, responding to a couple of DMs in between songs, in between running reps, whatever you want to call it. And the Orioles had tweeted out, how are we feeling this morning? Or, you know, how are we feeling this morning, Birdland or whatever. And... I thinking that, and it was sunny. And if you ha- and if anybody knows that when you have your phone, unless you want to have your battery up at a hundred percent and drain the battery to hell, you know, when you're only when you've only been up a couple hours, I have my brightness. I have my brightness low, especially when I have it out. Uh, I, when I have it out and I'm away from home and I'm not near an outlet or whatever. Um, or my phone charger, so I had the brightness dim, and I saw that the URC, you know, how we feeling this morning, bro? And I thought that it was in relation to the fact that the Orioles back-to-back games walk off, or they hit a walk-off home run to win it with Rudy Odor hitting the walk-off home run in the thirteenth inning to beat the Rays the other night. So I was thinking, so I was think, so I was thinking along those lines, and I replied. Something along the lines of still in, still in shock, can't believe that just happened. Well, I finish my run, I go check Twitter, and Orioles Twitter's blown up. Adley's coming, Adley's coming, this, that, and the other. And I go back and I look at the Orioles, and the Orioles are, you know, tweeting everything like crazy. They got a nice little production that they put together, a social media team for Adley coming up. And, and I go back and I look at the tweet that I replied to. And it turns out it was a part of the thread of the Orioles' original tweet announcing Adley being called up. So I had replied to that tweet thinking that it was the Orioles' social media team respond, you know, saying, you know, having fun with the fans, how are we feeling after last night's throwing victory, this, that, because the Bengals during the playoff run, they did the same thing, I, I, I believe they, tw- I, I think they tweeted that out after the, I know they tweeted out, I know they tweeted that out after the Raider game, and I believe they also did the same thing after the Chief game when he went to the AFC Championship, when we won the AFC Championship, so my mind was thinking, Social team, social media team of of a sports team, 
you know, tweeting out to the fan base, how's everybody feeling? How's everybody, you know, doing the day, the morning after the unbelievable events of the of the of the game that we previously saw the uh, the other day, the other night. And then I go ahead and see, and I put the. I was like, you guys were talking about. Rugnet Odor's walk-off home run. You guys were talking about Adley getting called up to the major leagues. So it's a very crazy element uh, element sequence of events of how I find out found out that he was going to get called up to the major leagues. And saw his introductory press conference and had a nice game, good presence behind the mound. Uh, this guy is going to be is this guy. You know, I and I put it to you to everybody else. Oh well, I heard so, you know that aren't either big time baseball fans or aren't you know lockstep in two with the Orioles. They asked me what my opinion is. I put I put it to you. I put it to you in kindergarten terms. Adley Rushman is supposed to be the be, the Orioles version of Joe Burrow. They are he they he. This is the guy that's supposed to save the team from the abutment of of ineptitude and disgraceful losing play that has plagued the franchise over the better part of the last five plus years or so. He's supposed to be the saving grace that's supposed to get us out of the ditch and turn us into a championship contending team. Joe Burrow with my Bengals, who national champion, Adley Rushman, national champion, hopefully to do the same uh, with, uh, with my Baltimore Orioles. Switch hitting catcher. You hear lots of comps between him and Matt Wieters, who also was the switch hitting catcher, who the Orioles drafted with the top pick uh, back once upon a time. Back once upon a time for for my uh, for my franchise. You all see com- I at least I heard this from Mark DeRosa on MLB Central this morning, comparing him to Buster Posey, switch hit switch hitting catcher that can hit for average, can hit for power, a tremendous presence behind home plate, frames one of the best defensive catchers in the sport. And hopefully, if Mark DeRosa's comp is proven to be accurate, that uh, that the Buster Posey comparison also translates into the Orioles becoming a dynasty of the two thousand and of the of the two thousand and twenties, winning at least you know three, winning winning at least about three championships or so. But uh, you know, hopefully, he gets the job done. For uh, he's young, you know. There's I, there's going to be times where he's going to where he's going to where he's going to struggle. It comes to it comes to territory. Uh, you know, he's hitting two fifty in a small sample size of the two games that he has played thus far in his major league career. Look back and see how he did. Uh, look back and see how he did in the box score Sunday against Tampa. He DH'd in the game. Had to come in as a catcher. Because uh, because Austin Hayes came in to pinch it for Robinson Chirinos in the bottom of the ninth inning, uh, and thus the Orioles had to give up the had to give up the uh, the uh, the DH spot and had to give up the D when you take the DH out of the DH spot to go play the position, and that's one of the flaws of of having your second catcher DH for you is that if you have to pinch it for if you have to pinch it uh, if you have to pinch it your original uh, catcher. For somebody else, then the design, then the catcher, the, who's the your designated him in the lineup, has to has to play catcher obviously, and so you open up the DH and the pitcher has to hit. The Orioles never put in, into that situation, thank God. And I'll get to them specifically here in a moment. But Rutschman, one for five on the after, one for five and a hit by pitch. 
Sunday afternoon, uh, and you saw he he was at, he was extra fired up, and that's something I have not seen at least from this team when the players that have played on it, as is, is is that element of Rutschman, you know, coming off the coming from behind home plate, beating Cnel uh, Perez walking off the field, you know, saying let's go, you know, pumping his fist, yelling and screaming, you know, being being an encouraging team. I you know you see that a lot in little league, you see it a lot in high school, college, major major leagues, you don't see that. You know, you know, you know. I mean, Rushman was, and I am not. Uh, listen, I am not bad mouthing him whatsoever. But Rushman was was hyping up Perez as if he, as if he just struck out. You know, as if he just struck out the twenty seven Yankees in Game Seven of the ALCS. But that is the type of energy and the passion that you want from a young from a young player like Adley with a lot of upside and a lot of. Uh, and a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations on the show. That's what you want from a guy that's looking to change the culture and turn the Orioles into champ into a championship contending baseball team. The that 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 energy and the passion that he brought in those two innings coming off the coming off the field with uh with 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 uh with Cinel Perez getting in his face, pumping him up, saying, "Yeah, let's go." You can see the veins, you know, bulging in his neck, all hyped up, and everything. that's what you want from 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 your franchise player. That's what you want, and Adley Rutschman uh, certainly provides that. And you know, Grayson Rodriguez, who's also a, a top five player in all of baseball as far as uh, the best uh, farm talent coming up, he's next up too down the line for have his major league debut. Orioles by far have the best uh, have the best farm system in the sport, and the Orioles are trying to get themselves in a position where, come middle, come towards the middle, and certainly throughout the end of this 2020s decade, they are a not only a postseason contender on a year in year out basis, they're looking to contend and win some World Series and get the what's going to become next year the 40 year monkey off their back since their last World Series appearance and their last World Series uh, championship. But Adley Rutschman is certainly the first piece of the, uh, is certainly the first piece and arguably the biggest piece of the puzzle. And the Orioles, I would say, come 2024, they should be a team that, you know, you, know, that you should pick to win, a, to win games and, you know, to win about 85-plus games and to make the postseason as a wild card team. Hopefully, you're counting on if everything breaks, 2024, 2025, they'll be back in the playoffs. Three to, uh, if in, in, in two, three years, they'll be back. Next year, I'd expect them to hover around the lines of 75 and 87. But the way this team's been playing as of late, who's to say that they can't go 75 and 87 now? Because this Baltimore Orioles team, let me tell you, they have they've won three out of the last four games, three out of the last four games, and are just playing at a level and are playing with a certain passion about them that I have not seen in this ball club in a long, 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 long time. Think about this for a minute: the Orioles. Outside, you take away the Orioles' six-game losing streak. The Orioles have won one, two, three, four, five, 
six, seven, eight, nine, ten games on the month of May. They well, excuse me. You take away the six game losing streak, they are you got ten wins, one, two, three, four. Not counting a losing streak. Not counting a losing streak. The Orioles are ten and four in the month of May. Not counting the ten game loot. Not counting the six game losing streak, where they got swept by Detroit on the road inexplicably, who were just as bad as the Orioles are, if not worse, and lost three or four to the Yankees. Not taking that losing streak out. The Orioles are ten and four in the month of May. Ten and four. They were playing great baseball prior to the losing streak. Losing streak happened, came down to earth. I of course start angry angry tweeting like I always do. Or is Adley, this team stinks. I've had enough. I'm growing impatient. This that I'm sick and tired of getting my heads getting bashed in and beaten in by the Yankees and judged and all of that. And then all of a sudden Thursday comes around, they're down, they're, they tie the score up 2-2 two, two, two in the second inning, take the lead 3-2 in the bottom of the third, they go ahead and lose the lead, lose the lead, they're up 3-2, they lose it 3-3 top of the fourth, and then 5-3 heading into the bottom of the sixth, they take the lead again, they take the lead again. To go up six five in the bottom of the six. Top of the ninth, a Mayhew singles, drives in Isaiah Conafilefa, throwing air Anthony Santander, ties the game up at six apiece. And what happens off of a and I'll get you here in a minute here on a play-by-play sheet. Then you head into the bottom of the ninth inning. Tie game at six apiece. Austin Hayes reaches on a fielding error by jo- reaches on a throwing error by Josh Donaldson. Ramon Arias strikes out for out number for out number one. Mancini singles. Mancini singles to bring up the, to to become the the tying run on first base. Brings up the winning run, Anthony Santander, and hits a home run just over that little short, little short porch that's left of the left field wall. That the three thirty three down the line in left field to give the Orioles their first walk off home run in two thousand and twelve days, two full seasons, twenty twenty if you want to call it a full season, to the two thousand and twenty season. Whole all of 2021, and about a and about a quarter of the way to through the 2022 season, the Orioles went without a walk off home run, and they got it from Anthony Santander to snap their six game losing streak to end their walk off homerless drought, and to avoid the sweep of New York winning nine six, and then. Friday night, what happens? They get themselves into another hole, another deficit. 
Tampa puts up a Tampa puts up a the, let me get you the the play by play. Tampa puts up a I gotta get the stopy sheet right. Both teams that held scores to the fifth inning. Held scores to the fifth. Mike Zunino homers off the foul pole three run home run to give Tampa a three nothing lead. Bottom of the seventh comes around. Orioles crack the scoreboard, make it three one. The, uh, Randy, or excuse me, Ramon Urias scores thanks to a fielding error by Randy Arozarena, who was atrocious in the outfield this weekend. Couldn't catch a damn cold, couldn't catch Corona if he licked the bottom of a toilet seat. Then make it three two. Then Trey Mancini comes right up behind him, bottom of the seventh inning still. Drives in Robinson Chirinos on a game-tying single. to tie the game up at three games apiece. Top of the 10th inning. Runner on, automatic runner on second base. Bet Phillips doubles down the right field line to score Taylor Walls to go up in front 4-3. Then Yandy Diaz comes up shortly thereafter on a single. RBI drives in Brett Phillips to make it 5-3 Tampa. Bottom of the tenth, Santander comes up, and excuse me, bottom of the tenth inning, the automatic runner on uh, the automatic runner on second base is Cedric Mullins made a last out in the bottom of the ninth. Austin Hayes draws a walk. Mancini comes up right behind him and walks. Then Anthony Santander down to his final. Or excuse me, not what the hell am I talking about? Not down, not down to his uh his uh that's later on in the game. I apologize. Anthony Santander then comes up. Nobody outrunners on bases are loaded. Mullins on third, Hayes on second, Mancini on first, Anthony Santander, line drive single to score Mullins and Hayes to tie this puppy up at five at five games apiece. Fast forward to the top of the 11th. Randy Rosarena singles on a pitch that goes off of Dylan Tate's glove. Advances Vidal Brujan, the automatic runner on second to third base. Then uh, then up comes Kevin Kiermeyer, Single down the line in left field to give Tampa the lead again at 6-5. Then you fast forward to the, to the 11th inning. Automatic runner on second base is Ramon Rios. Rugnetto Dorge goes out swinging out number one. Anthony Bemboom grounds out to out number two. Cedric Mullins is intentionally walked. Sets the stage for Austin Hayes down to his final out. His final strike. Keeps the game alive. Singles in. Ramon Arias. Tied the game up at six apiece again. Un-frickin'-believable. Top of the 12th. Nick Vespi. Who? What? Yeah. Nick Vespi making his major league debut. Who the Orioles called up, called up a few days prior in the minor leagues. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Gets the Rays out one, two, three. 
Brett Phillips, Yandy Diaz, Wanda Franco in the 12th. Orioles head to the bottom of the 12th. Can't get anything going there. Top of the 12th, Franco automatic runner on first base. Vida Brujan called out on strikes. G-Man Choi strikes out swinging. Rania Rosarena, who, who had killed the Orioles all night up until, up until that point, heading into the 13th inning. They smartly, intentionally walk Randy Rosarena, give Hyde all the credit in the world for that. And then on a Kevin Kiermeyer single to left field, Austin Hayes with the throw of the game that with, with the throw of the game to keep the game tied throws out Wanda Franco at home plate who for some ungodly reason decided not to slot. A, the ball was hit way too hard to score from second base anyway. And Austin Hayes, who is one of the more bright, up-and-coming, best outfielders in all of baseball, has got a cannon for an arm, throws a strike to Anthony Bemboon to tag out Wanda Franco on the leg to get the third out and end the inning. Nick Vespi comes in there, gives up one, gives up one lousy hit, and keeps the game tied in the 12th and in the 13th inning. Then the bottom of the 13th inning comes around. Tyler Nevitt, automatic runner on second base. Ramon Urias uh, moves moves Nevin to third base on a sacrifice bunt with one out. And all of a sudden sets up the stage for Rugnado Door to hit a walk-off home run deep into the night onto Utah Street. Second straight night. Back-to-back, belly-to-belly, Orioles hit a walk-off home run to end it, to walk off a, 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 a superior divisional opponent. They Six-game losing streak, well in the back mirror. They've won back-to-back games courtesy of the walk-off home run. Santander pulls it, pulled it down a line and left to beat the Yankees to avoid the sweep, and the Orioles to avoid their long, treacherous losing streak against Tampa. Rugnet Odor ends it with a bomb onto the... Uh, Onto the Utah Street Concourse to end a wild, wacky, thrilling, crazy, and intriguing 13-inning game between the Orioles and Tampa Bay Rays. One leader in the clubhouse as as the as the game of the year for the Orioles this season. That game was edge of your seat, thrilling, captivating regular season baseball. And I haven't said that about an Orioles game since Donald Trump was president. What a job by them. And then they turn around Sunday and it's the same story again. They don't quit. They get, they get a they it's the same it's the, they they just they just don't quit. Kevin Kiermeyer Randy Rosarena, G-Man Choi, three straight singles, one nothing Baltimore. Spencer Watkins has to come out of the game. Out. Out of the game. Bullpen game essentially right from the opening frame for Baltimore. And they... Little hiccups, little bumps in the road, but they handle it superbly. Somehow, someway, get out of and then of and then Paredes comes behind, three run home run, make it four nothing, make it four nothing Tampa. Orioles off, Orioles bats can't hit the broadside, can't hit the broadside of a barn. You fast forward all the way 
until the you fast forward all the way, you get the bottom of the third inning. Ramon Urias singles on a ground ball on a ground ball to bring in Anthony Santander to make it four one to make it four one Tampa. Rugnet Adorg then comes behind him to make to cut Tampa's lead in half four two on a double to drive in Ryan Mountcastle. Top of the fourth, Kiermaier singles to left field to drive in Brett Phillips. It's now five two. Bottom of the fifth, Ryan Mountcastle solo home run to brings Baltimore within two again. It's five three Tampa. Top seven, Randy Arroyo. Reina singles driving Kevin Kiermaier. Tampa is up up by three one more time. Then on the bottom of the seventh inning, Randy of Rosarena for whatever, and he was awful. If you're a Tampa Bay Rays fan, you had to be pulling your hair out, cussing and screaming at the TV and throwing your remote and everything. You could put your hands on towards television because Randy of Rosarena and, and for that matter, the Rays really were absolutely deplorable, disgraceful, and embarrassing playing in the field this weekend. Randy of Rosarena drops a routine fly ball that the sh- routine fly ball that should have essentially killed any momentum that that Baltimore had in trying to surmount a comeback drops an easy fly ball allows Robinson Chirinos to reach and drives in and drives in Ramon Arias and uh, and moves Rugnetto door to third base to br- to bring Baltimore within to bring Baltimore within two runs then bottom of the ninth inning comes around and bullpen does it. Bullpen does his job, albeit with a couple of uh, heart attacks and uh, and heart palpitations uh, mixed in. Bullpen does their job to shut down to shut down the Rays in innings eight and eight and nine. They head into the bottom of the they head into the bottom of the ninth inning. Ryan Mountcastle singles to put the singles to bring up the time to bring up the tying run uh, and to bring up the tying run. And uh, and Adley Rutschman pops out to shortstop Tyler Wells for out number one. Ramon Urias draws a walk. So if you count at home, Ramon Urias game tying run. Rugnetto door. Uh, Rugnetto door is the winning run. Ryan, or excuse me, um, the uh, the uh, get his name. Um, Ryan Thompson gets called for a balk. Because he because he drops the ball at midst of his windup, so there's a runner on first and second, one out. Baltimore down by two. Thompson balks, rules takes the game ending double play out of double play possibility out of consideration. So now the tying run moves up 90 feet. This is one of the more critical moments in the game is that the tying run moves up from first base. The second base, where a single ties the game up and it takes the game-ending double play out of order in the situation. Thompson balks. Austin Hayes down to his final strike, final out, 2-2 the count. Singles into left field to bring in Ryan McKenna and Chris Owens to tie the game up at 6. You have a, you have a nice little you have a rain delay. Jorge Mateo, Jorge Mateo walks. Or excuse me, wild pitch moves Austin Hayes up to second, winning run 180 feet away. Jorge Mateo walks. Cedric Mullins grounds out. We go to extra innings for the second time in for the second time in three days. Then and after the after Tampa goes scoreless in the top of the tenth inning, Baltimore comes up bottom of, comes up bottom of the sixth. Excuse me, excuse me, bottom of the tenth. Mateo automatic runner on second base. Trey Mancini intensely walked. 
brings up Anthony Santander, the hero from Thursday. He strikes out. McKenna flies out. Ali Rushman with an opportunity to with a, with an opportunity to uh, to to have a Hollywood storybook type uh, opening debut as a major leaguer. Flies out the right field. Oh, so close. Uh, oh, so close to, to hitting one out. We go to the 11th. Tampa comes up. Good morning. Good. Excuse me. Uh, Tampa comes up. Walls, see you later. Uh, line out, out number one. Kiermaier, see you later. Strike out. They intentionally walk Randy Rose Reina against smart, brilliant move by Hyde by by intentionally Randy by intentionally walking Randy Rose Reina in his last two at bats of the game. They do not allow they do not allow him to beat him. They intentionally, or excuse me, they intentionally walk Randy. They walk G Man Choi to load the bases. Harold Ramirez lines out. Orioles get out of the tenth and eleventh inning unscathed. The Tampa Bay Rays had not scored. A, for you guys, scrank home. They the Orioles bullpen had held Tampa Bay scoreless since Randy Arozarena single to make it six three Tampa in the top of the seventh inning. You head to the bottom of the eleventh. Ali Rushman automatic runner on second base. Chris Owings moves him over to third. Sacrifice bunt. Moves with the third base. Rugnet Odor, ground ball a la Bill Buckner style, goes through the glove of G-Man Choi, rolls down the first base right field line. Ali Rushman scores as his, scores his first run as a, scores his first game-winning run as a major leaguer. Orioles win the game 7-6, walk off for the Third time in four days, and take a weekend, a home weekend series against a team that's done nothing but own them and hit them all across and and, and push them across all across Oil Park, Camden Yards, and Tropicana Field in the last season. They take two out of three from the Tampa Bay Rays. Third win in four days, all in walk off fashion. Rugmeadow Door, the hero, and 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 the lat and the in the. In games two and in games three, there is something about this Orioles team that I have not seen in them that I have not seen in them in quite a long time. They don't quit. They don't lie down and die. They are going to scratch. They are going to fight. They're going to claw their way back from the dead. They don't care if they're down six nothing, five nothing, three nothing. Doesn't matter. They're going to find a way to make the game interesting at the end. Yeah, they won't be able to hit with runners scoring position through innings uh, one through six. But once, the, but once the seventh, eighth inning comes around, whoa, baby, you better buckle up, buckle up your chin strap because the Orioles are are going to be damned if they if they if they go down without a fight. And they put together the performances that they that I've seen from them that is promising, show and is showing signs that. That the Orioles are are on the potential of being all the way back, not to and 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 not too near dis and a not too distant future. This is a game that, that the Orioles last year would have lost. Friday night, that game, that's the game they would have lost. Thursday against the Yankees, that's the game they would have lost. And they came close many other times in the Yankees series as well. The the, the night before, Cedric Mullins came oh so close. That's the difference about this Orioles team. They got heart in them, and they got a little bit of fight. And quite frankly, over the last couple of years, that's all I've been asking. That's all I've been begging for. It's to show some grit and show some fight. 
to final 27th out is recorded. Show some grit. Show some fight. If you're in, you're a major, you're major league paid professionals. If you're in a game to to, and then the team allows you to stay in the game to the to the bitter end, there's no there's no excuse why you can't why 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 you can't win one. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if it's via error of the other team. I don't care if you got to walk in the winning run. I don't care if you got to bunt them in or or be like Santander and Odor and hit the ball nine miles to get the, to get the job done. You're in the game. You finish the deal. And the Orioles so far this season, they've got five walk-off victories this season, all ironically enough against divisional opponents. Two of them via errors from the op- from uh, from the opposing team, uh, and they've and the only two true walk-off hits that they've had this season, hits that count in the record books as hits, have been the walk-off home runs by Santander and Rugnet Odor on Friday night. This team. Slowly but surely starting to become something. I'm loving every single flipping minute of it. That if, if you love regular season baseball and you like a good little underdog story and a team, you know, that nobody has any faith in coming up, rising from the dead and getting the job done, the Orioles on uh on uh this weekend. And even if you want to go back to Thursday, that's how you do it. I haven't seen that from them in a long, long time. Good to see that. And it's also good to see Adley up at the Major League level, too. We'll see how he does in his first ever road trip in the majors uh, as the team heads to New York and Boston this week before they head back home a week from Tuesday. Um, but and there's another item I want to get to as far as baseball is concerned with Josh Donaldson and uh, Tim Anderson. They got into a little bit of a scuffle when the Yankees were in Chicago uh, once upon a time ago. And, of course, they also had a dust-up on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Anderson saying how Josh Donaldson called him Jackie in reference to Jackie Robinson and that being a, a racist and insensitive uh, thing for a racist and insensitive uh, thing for him to say. Um, and you've, and you've had that being the news a little, and you've had the, uh, that dispute between the two of them being the news over the last uh, 24 plus hours, 24 plus hours or so. Here's what I will say about that. Um, and I, and listen, I would love nothing more than for me to get up on, for me to get up on this show and to call, uh, and for me, and, and I don't like Josh Donaldson much anyway, not much. I don't like him at all. I never have. Uh, like Josh Donaldson, his attitude, uh, his attitude has always uh, rubbed me the wrong way. The way he plays the game, the way he carries himself, has always, you know, pissed me off. And and he's he's, he's been very, he has been very embraceable. And I've been watching him play dating back to his days. He was a third baseman for the Oakland Athletics. Okay, I know. Trust me. Uh, so he, so I, I would love nothing more than get up on here and to call Josh Nelson everything but a child of God and, and essentially just piss on his, uh, character, uh, for good reason. But, but I love nothing more than to do that, but it's a very murky gray area situation between him and, uh, and Tim Anderson. Uh, and I, as much as I love to be in Tim Anderson's camp and kill Donaldson, my hands are tied on this. I'm, I'm mutual. I, I, as of this moment in time right now, I, 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 you cannot, I cannot take a side. I can't. 
I get I get where Anderson is coming from in front as, as when it comes to him being annoyed and pissed off at, at Donaldson calling him that and knowing Donaldson, I know he didn't mean it in an endearing in an endearing, lighthearted, joking manner. He probably meant it as a snide, snarky, smart ass, uh, douche, douchey thing to in a, in a douchey manner, because that's just how Josh Donaldson is. And I can empathize with uh, with Anderson on where he's coming from with that, because I, you know, listen, me be a lot, me any. Let me let you guys in on a little secret. Until further notice, until you know this man comes, you know retires and 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 retires from television. Any loud mouth, boisterous, confident, assertive black boy slash man who loves sports, any sports loving, loud, opinionated, boisterous, brash black boy slash black man will always, always be called Stephen A. Smith by the better part of, of the majority of white America. They'll be called that. Sometimes it'll be in a lighthearted manner. Sometimes it'll have a little bit of a snide, backhanded compliment to it. Depends on who's saying it and depends on the nature of the conversation. But I've gotten that before. You know, oh, shut up, Stephen A. Smith. Uh, St- Stephen A., st- I've gotten it. Black, loud, boisterous, opinionated, you know, uh, uh, black male. Who you get called? Stephen A. Smith. First person pops in the head. Loud, 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 boisterous black man who, who loves to rant and rave about sports. Stephen A. Smith. So I've got, so even that, I've gotten that a little bit in my short lifetime. God knows what other racist crap uh, Tim Anderson's had to put up with. So, so I get where he's coming from in that from that element. And not all the time, you know. A, you're gonna take it the right way, and, and B, not and not every time you, you you're not gonna be able to let it roll off your back, let it one ear and out the other. Sometimes it's gonna be days where somebody calls you that, and you're just not in the mood to put up with the bull crap, and, and you're gonna snap. So I totally get where Anderson's coming from in that aspect. And then on from a Donaldson side of things, Anderson did say in a Sports Illustrated article in 2019 how he considers himself the new age Jackie Robinson. So, you know, and he, and he wants to you know kind of like have that moniker attached to him. And and Donaldson has no reason to call him Jackie, you know, Jackie Jackie Robinson if Tim Anderson doesn't say that. To the press, two wrongs don't make a right, but Donaldson ain't just pulling the Jackie remark out of out of his booty pipe out of the clear blue sky. There's a little bit of a backstory behind it. So, I I get both sides of the coin. I get, I'm not on anybody's side yet, and I'm not taking sides as of the moment. I'm holding off on. Criticizing and name, I'm holding off on all that till I get all the details. And I'll be finishes the investigation and all the and 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 the, and the puzzle pieces start to fit in. But I see where Anderson is coming from, 
And I get it where Donaldson is like, hey, this guy called himself Jackie Robinson. And I ain't exactly this guy went up to Sports Illustrated and said, yeah, I'm that nigga. And he ended up calling him a nigga. But, so I, I, I get that. But I also understand that Anderson and everybody else where Josh Donaldson, A, he's, not a, he's, he's a hard guy to root for, hard guy to like. And he just comes off where he's always run on 100. He's abrasive. He's arrogant. Tough to stomach. Tough to take, tough to root for, and he comes across as a douchebag. And according to Alana Rizzo, who's who's my buddy's uh, Chris from Mad Dog Russo, she is his uh, co-host on his TV show on MLB Network High Heat, who who has a lot of of who has a lot of the MLB players' constituencies ear. They tell her the same thing that I that I as a fan have have thought for the better part of the last eight years or so. How Donaldson isn't exactly warm and fuzzy and a ball of laughs, and everybody in within the Major League Baseball players' constituency is in love with him. Rizzo, who's tight with the players, told her that, basically just echoing what I've thought about Donaldson ever since I've been watching him play baseball wearing an Oakland A's uniform. So I, I get both sides of the coin. My hands are tied here. I, I can't. I can't. I, I. I. I cannot take a particular side until I'm given all the all the facts, all the data, all the information. Major Baseball's finishing up the investigation. But if it turns out that Josh Donaldson said it with a manner and a passion, as if as if he knew what he was trying to do, then screw him. Then Tim Anderson's camp 100%. Because I've experienced stuff similar to like that as well. Loud, boisterous, opinionated black guy talking about sports, you get called Stephen A. Smith. But I don't go around calling myself the next Stephen A. Smith, which is a, which is a little bit of a di- which is the little bit of difference between the two. Anderson went to Sports Illustrated and said, "I consider myself the you know Jackie Robinson," which 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 hurts. Anderson's cry to the in, a, in the public's mind to its not necessarily mind but to the public in the public's eye it hurts his argument where he says well Donaldson said that in a, in a racist insensitive undertone when he when he went out to Sports Illustrated a few years ago and, and and called himself that for everybody to read and for everybody to see which hurt which hurts Anderson's plea of Donaldson Josh Donaldson is a racist prick. Not saying he's wrong, but it hurts his case. So we'll have to wait, and so we'll have to wait and see uh, what develops on that. But I, I, but I, I'm regardless. I'm not in Josh Donaldson's. Whether he meant to say it or not, I ain't in Josh Donaldson's camp uh, under any circumstances because that guy is. Again, I've I've never ever ever. Rooted for, wanted to root for, or or had a pleasure in rooting for Josh Donaldson. Never, I've never, ever, ever liked them. Nor rooted for him as a baseball player. Never. Never. Lastly, closing things up with the PGA Championship. Mito Pereira, third player over the last 20 years to double bogey the 72nd hole in a major and finish. One shot out of the playoff. Phil Mickelson and Colin Montgomery doubled the final hole to finish one shot behind Goff 
Oliver G, whatever you pronounce his name, in the 06 Open. This is a guy that was sitting pretty heading into the final hole uh, at Southern Hills in Oklahoma on Sunday and completely botched the the final hole of the tournament, hitting the ball in the water. And Justin Thomas, who trailed seven strokes and entering uh, entering uh, Pereira, who was the leader at a minus nine for the tournament heading into Sunday, trailed seven strokes back, and he ended up winning PJ Championship, tied for the third largest comeback in major championship history on the PJ Tour. Thomas was at number seven at a minus two, seven shots back of Pieria, ended up winning the tournament with, by, with a minus five. Pieria dropped down to three with a minus four. Will Zalatoris, he and Justin Thomas played in a, in a three-hole playoff, who finished the 18 with a minus five. Justin Thomas won the three-hole uh, playoff. And Tiger Woods, who ended, who was on the brink, it was questions and, 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 and rumblings whether or not he would make the final cut to play in the final round on uh, the play in the final round on Sunday. He made the cut but withdrew because his leg was bothering him. Tiger Woods, man. Doesn't doesn't owe us a damn thing. But Tiger Woods, heart of a freaking champion. But we already knew that. Take a break, go through these NFL schedules, wrap up the show. The I'm telling a TIS podcast. Welcome you back to the I'm Tell Like a Tell Is podcast. Breaking news from the league of the Major League Baseball's uh, office. Josh Donaldson, Yankees third baseman, has received a one-game suspension and an undisclosed fine for his inappropriate comments during Saturday's game against the Chicago White Sox. Of course, with the uh, with the uh, Jackie Robinson comment, Donaldson uh, is uh, excuse me appealing. Says, quote, the comment he directed towards Mr. Anderson was disrespectful and in poor judgment, particularly when viewed in the context of their pre of their prior interactions. There we go. Wow. So Donaldson is going whether it's now, whenever it is, he is going to have to sit a game. Interesting. Well, you know, I, and the way to handle it, you know, is kind of weird too, because it's like a he said, she said thing. And you got to, you know, tap the, 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 can't, the, uh, the on-field mics, um, po- you know, call in umpires, pl- people that were around the area that, so it's, you know, it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the telephone game, you know. You ever play that game where you, with a bunch of little kids where it's a long line of them and you tell one person to whisper and you, you tell the one kid to whisper to another into another kid's ear a sentence and then by the time it gets to the last kid, the sentence is either, ch- it's either change the, the words either change or it's completely new difference. It's, it's kind of similar to that because it's not like, it's not anything obvious as somebody, you know, flipping off a middle finger or the N word being yelled loud. And t- so, you know, you got to tap into, you got to listen very closely. You know, if you got to look on social media, if anybody caught any video of it, you got to interview the, the, wit- the witnesses, the umpires, the, the base coaches, people in the dugout, the ball, the ball boy, the ball girl, the bat boy, the bad girl. So it's a long, te- it's a long, tedious process. So, if uh, they felt Donaldson deserved the game, uh, if it comes up, you know, 
I I don't know how I had I don't know how to necessarily react react to it. But uh, Josh Johnson, honest to God, just wrapping this up. It's best if he just just keeps his mouth shut. Just don't say anything. Don't do anything to piss anybody off. Just put your head down, play baseball. That's it. Because every single time you either you you do something on the field, you know, to to either get a get a rise out of somebody or try to do something that that's towing the line or push the envelope, you get yourself in trouble. So it's just best if Josh Josh Johnson just keeps his mouth shut. Another thing weird too is that you didn't you didn't hear a lot. Now I understand that the teammates were going to do. But, you know, Stan and Judge, who are two, and Aaron Hicks, three black players on the Yankees roster, you know, they weren't necessarily uh, pounding the, uh, the the Josh Donaldson seal of approval. I don't expect them to do that to the media. I understand that, but I don't know. So, who honestly, who the, who the hell really knows? Um, but we shall move on. To uh to some other things, uh the other sport we can kind of cross off our checklist. We did baseball. We've done a little bit. Did a little bit of golf, baseball, and basketball. Now we hit the NFL as far as the schedule is concerned. Just to go through these schedules uh, with these teams, uh, just to give you a couple of them here, just to get so you get the idea. Kansas City Chiefs. Um uh, and by the way, with the A with the seventeenth game last year it was the AFC that had the extra home game. This year's the NFC that has the extra home game with nine. Uh, compared to the compared to the uh, compared to the uh, eight that they had last year, Kansas City. Um, let's see. You just go through their schedule. I told you guys that their game against the Chargers home week two was the first uh, prime video game. Uh, on uh, on Thursday night, they open up against the Cardinals uh, in Arizona week one. Weird opponent week one, but they open up against the Cardinals week one. Uh, and the, wow. So the Chiefs do not play a home one o'clock afternoon game. Until November the thirteenth, week ten against Jacksonville. Or yeah, wow. They did not play a home game in a one o'clock window until week ten against Jacksonville. They the only home afternoon game they play until the Jacksonville game is week. Six against Buffalo, which is a four, which is a four twenty-five game on uh, CBS Week Six, and the only home game they play in the first month of the year is Week Two against the against the Chargers, and that's a night game. And through the first four weeks of the season, Kansas City is on the road at at Arizona, home against the Chargers. At Indianapolis, at Tampa, and then they get back-to-back home games, go west to play San Francisco, by week, back-to-back home games again, and then they hit the road a month front, about a month after their home, their road game against San Francisco, the Chargers week eleven. Interesting. Wow. The Chiefs only play three one o'clock home games this year. 
and two out of three of them are back to back in the in the last three weeks of the season, weeks sixteen and seventeen. And the only one they play in the first half is uh, they don't even play one in the first half of the season. All three of them in the second half of the season. They only have one uh, home afternoon game first half of the season, week six against Buffalo, October 16th. Other ones are night games. Interesting. So if you're scoring at home, by the way, Kansas City plays... The AFC, excuse me, they play the NFC, this is out of, out of the division. They play the NFC West, the, the winners of the division in the, no, wait, I have that wrong. They play the NFC West, winners of the division in the NFC South, which is Tampa. The A the winners of the AFC South, which is the Titans. The winners of the AFC North. Oh wait, check that. They play the winners of the AFC North, which is the Bengals again. They play the winner of the NFC South, which is the Bucks. They play all of the. And excuse me, and they play the first place winner of the AFC East. So they play three first place winners, three playoff teams from last year: the Bills again, the Bengals again, the Bucks. All of the AFC, excuse me, all of the NFC West, all of the NFC South, and their own division. So they play all of the AFC West. AFC South, obviously, excuse me, AFC West, obviously, all of the AFC South, so they play three, three divisions, and the, and the divisional, and the division winners of the AFC North, the Bengals, East, the Bills, NFC South, the Buccaneers. Their bye week is week eight. This is the perfect time that I have the bye week. Week eight, week nine, week ten, perfect time that I have it. And they're on prime time five times. Sunday night twice, Thursday night once. Sunday, excuse me, Sunday night three times, Monday night once, which is shocking. Uh, Thursday night once. Monday night once, Thursday night once, Sunday night three times. And they get one, two, three prime time home prime time home games two road game two out of the three Sunday night games that they play are on the road at the bucks at the broncos home Sunday night the host of titans home Monday night the host of raiders home Thursday night against the chargers that's the chiefs denver let's look at them uh they play let's see they play their own division, obviously. Well, they all play. Okay, well, it's just, okay, it's the same thing. It's just like the, just like the Chiefs. The only difference is that they play, is that they play the they. Where did the Broncos finish? They finished in. They finished in last place. So, which means they play the team that finished in last place in the NFC South, which is the. 
which is the Carolina Panthers. The team that finished in last place in the AFC North, which is the Ravens. And the team that finished in last place in the AFC East, which is the Jets. So the Broncos' opponents are the same as Kansas City. They play all of their own division, the AFC West, all of the AFC South, all of the NFC West. The only difference is that they play the last place teams in the AFC North, the AFC East, and the NFC South, which is the Ravens, which is which is a hard opponent. Granted, the Broncos obviously are, are trying to be a playoff contender, but they don't get a break throwing Baltimore in there. Uh, and then, um, and then of course the Jets and the um, Carolina Panthers. Their bye week is week nine, and about the right time you would have you, you would have you would want to have uh, your bye week as as well. They play and the and they have they play back to back home games twice this season. Week two, week three against the Texans and the 49ers, and then and then against Kansas City and the and the Cardinals December eleventh and December eighteenth. And they play back to back road games twice. So they have two two times where they go back to back home and road on a schedule. Two times home they go back to back home home uh in the first half of the season, back to back at home second half of the season. And then when you look at the schedule, we'll look at well here's well let me break it down to you like a fraction. They're on the road back to back against Carolina and Baltimore, home back to back Kansas City, Arizona. On the road again, back-to-back, Rams on Christmas Day, Chiefs at Arrowhead New Year's Day 2023. They wrap up the season at home against the Chargers. The Speaking of the Chargers, their schedule looks like this. They have, they open up the season. Uh, let's see. They open up the season. Home against the Raiders, week 11. Home, they hit the road to Kansas City, then are home against Jacksonville, week 3. Back-to-back road games, week 4 and 5. Then followed by back-to-back home games, week 6 and 7. By week, week 8. Boy, these... these the, I'm not going to waste time with the Raiders. I mean, nobody cares. Um, the Raiders, if you told me right now the Raiders are going to Super, or going to Super Bowl, I'd have you drug tested. If you told me that the Chiefs, Broncos, and Chargers would go, I'd believe it. Uh, but they all lucked out with the bye weeks in that mid section of the year, week eight, nine, ten. So they get a bye week, week eight on uh, on the road again. Falcons cross country week nine. Then they fly back to California week ten to play the 49ers. That's on Sunday night. Home against the Chiefs, back to back on the road, Arizona and Vegas. Home again, back to back, December 11th and 18th, Miami and the Titans on the road against the against the Colts. Home against the Rams, Week 17, Sunday night, and then on the road against the Denver Broncos, Week 18. They're on primetime television five times as well. Two times on Monday night. Two times on Sunday night, one time on Thursday night. 
and I got back-to-back primetime games weeks 16 and 17 against the Colts and against the the Rams. Monday night followed by a Sunday night game. They have they play back-to-back road games. Wow, a lot of times this season. They play back-to-back weeks on, on the road, weeks 4 and 5, weeks 9 and 10, 12 and 13. And and which is if you count at home three times. Three times they're back to back on the road. One two, one two, one two. They're on. They're on. They're on back to back road back to backs three times. Home back to backs twice. Weeks six and seven, fourteen and fifteen. They two same thing. All of the NFC West, all of their own division, the AFC West, all of the AFC South, and the teams that finished in third place in the in the uh, in the AFC North, AFC East, and NFC South, which would be the which would be hold on, which would be the Cleveland Browns would be their AFC North opponent finishing in third place last season. Their NFC South opponent, which would be the Atlanta Falcons. And their AFC East opponent, which would be the Miami Dolphins. Head to the other two teams in the North. With the Ravens, their schedule is as follows. They are on prime time only three times, which I mentioned in the previous episode, which is an absolute disgrace. And, but two out of the th- but but and they also and they also get screwed because two out of the three primetime games that they have are on the road against the Saints and the against the Saints and the Bucks, which are uh, or the or the Bucks and the Saints I have them reversed, which are back to back weeks eight weeks eight and nine Thursday night against Tampa and then Monday night against the Saints in the Superdome, uh, and their bye week is week ten. Their their schedule looks like this. All of the AFC North, obviously within their own division. Um, all of the A, all of the NFC South. All of the AFC East. And they also play the team that finished in last place in the AFC South, which is the Jaguars, which is a lay, which is a layup of a game. And they also play who finishes in last play who finished in last place last season in the NFC East, which is the Giants, which is also a layup for them. The Giants, and they, and they, it's no record. They were eight and nine. They were they were on the brink of making. The Ravens are lucked out with their schedule because they were a disingenuous last place team who had everybody and their mother hurt, and they got layup games like playing the Giants. Like playing the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Atlanta Falcons. Granted, they do got some toughies. The Bengals twice within their own division. They got to play Brady, uh, and they also got to play Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, Week Four, at home on October the second. Which is shocking that that game is not in a four twenty-five or a Monday night or a Sunday night window, Week Four. The Ravens versus Bills, you know, you know, one one o'clock week four, very very interesting. Uh, the and the Ravens, let's see, the Ravens 
First three weeks of the season, they're home one time in between week two against Miami. On the road against the Jets, on the road against the Patriots. Um, and they get back-to-back home games weeks four and five against the Bills and against the Bengals. On the road again week six. Home again week seven. Back-to-back weeks eight and nine. By week week ten. Home against Carolina week 11. On the road against the Jaguars. Home again week 13. Back-to-back on the road one more time week 14 and 15. Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And then they and then they have back-to-back home games Christmas Eve and uh, and New Year's Day week 16 and 17. And then on the road against the Bengals. See, they have a back. They play back-to-back home games uh, twice this season, weeks four and five, 16 and 17. Doable schedule for the Ravens if everybody can stay healthy. As far as Cleveland, and they got absolutely jobbed with the lack of primetime games too. By the way, as well, uh, with the with the Cleveland Browns, they are home. They open up the season. They open up the season. Uh, see now, why when the hell would the Cleveland the Cleveland Browns are throwing me off with this because on a little on a little schedule graphic that I found on their Twitter page, the the game the games colored in white are home games and the games colored in orange are road games, but yet in football when you wear white. When you think teams wearing white in football, you think you think they're you think they're the road team, and the team that's has that's to have a color uniform, whether it's orange, whether it's blue, whether it's black, purple. A colored uniform in football is home. A white colored uniform in football is road. Yet the yet the team yet the games colored in white for Cleveland are home games and the team and the games colored in orange are the road games. So whoever was responsible for that in the Cleveland Browns social media department uh, totally screwed in the graphics and the graphic design teams totally screwed that up. Uh they open the season on the road against the Panthers. They the same thing. All of the A all of the AFC North their own division, all of the NFC South, all of the AFC East, and they finished the teams that finished in third place in their division uh they're finishing third place out of the out of the AFC West and out of the NFC East which would be Washington and the Chargers and a and the, and let's see they have back-to-back road games the the Browns do weeks 10 and 11 13 and 14, 17 and 18. They do have back-to-back home games though weeks 2 and 3, 5 and 6 and 15 and 16. And 8, well not not 9 cuz 9 is a bye week. And they got 1 2 well, we got two primetime games. One Monday night game and one Thursday night game. Thursday night game, week three against the Steelers. Monday night against the Bengals on Halloween night in their own building. Which should be fun. Should be intriguing for them. Uh, let's see. And their bye week is week nine, Sunday, November the 6th. As we move on, 
to the NFC soon to the AFC East. Um we'll start with Buffalo first. They have their games. Uh let's see. They of course the kickoff game week one at the Rams. Week two home against the Titans. So their first two games out of the gate on prime time. The kickoff game on NBC Monday night against the Titans for their home opener. Uh week two. Then they're on the road back-to-back weeks three and four against the Dolphins and against the Ravens. Home again to play the Steelers, uh, and they and the and the and the Bills won't have a home one o'clock game until uh, until uh, the second week the second week of the NFL season in October week five. They're home against the Steelers October in October on October the. Uh, how many times just said October in the last 30 seconds. On the 9th of the month, on the road again quickly against Kansas City. They get a semi-early bye week, week 7. Uh, and then Halloween Eve on the 30th. They're home against Green Bay Sunday night. Home, or excuse me, then they go at the Jets week 9. Home against the Vikings Week 10, back-to-back home games, weeks 10 and 11, Vikings and Brownies on the road again to play the Bills on Thanksgiving Day. Then another, and then they are they are the team that gets the back-to-back. The Patriots and the Bills are the two teams. The NFL, uh, and it's a good habit, I'm glad that they do it. They take, they pick two teams that play on Thanksgiving and they give them the Thursday, so they play on thanks. So they play on on two Thursday. They play two Thursdays out of the year. They give they pick two teams that that play on Thanksgiving, and they stick them on the on the uh, on the on the uh, on the regularly scheduled Thursday night football game. The the first Thursday of the month of. Uh, the, the, it's either the first Thursday in the month of December or it's the fifth Thursday in the month of November, and they stick them on a Thursday game the following week, so they're playing on Thursdays back to back. It's at it's at it's on the road against Detroit on Thanksgiving week twelve, and then and then it's another and then it's another road game at Foxborough to play the Patriots on December the first. Then back back home games against the Jets and against the Dolphins weeks fourteen to fifteen. On the road again to play the Bears week 16. Monday night at Cincinnati. The second day of the new year. Um, And of course they wrap up the season at home against the New England uh, Patriots. So the the Bills are back-to-back on the road one one time, weeks 3 and 4. Two times, weeks 12 and 13. And then they're on the road again for a third time, week sixteen and seventeen, and they're on the and their home back to back only comes twice, ten and eleven, fourteen and fifteen, and they play all of the and they play all and they play their own division, the AFC East. They play their own division, the AFC East, all of the AFC North. All of the NFC North, 
And the first place winners out of the AFC West, which is Kansas City, the AFC North, which is since or excuse me, not Cincinnati. They play the they play the winner of the AFC of the NFC. Uh, hold on, I got this. Okay, let me think. They play the winner of the they play their own division, the AFC West. All of the AFC North. All of the NFC North. The winners, the the first place winners in the previous season from the NFC West, which is the Rams, and the NF and the AFC West, which is the, uh, which is the uh, the, the Chiefs. Am I forgetting somebody else? And a winner of the AFC South, which is the Titans. That's what I was forgetting. Uh, and they're on prime time. One, two. Three, four, five times. Two Monday night, one a home game, one a road game. A Thursday night game on the road, Sunday night game at home, and the kickoff game on the road. So, in summary, wow. The Bills play, play on Thursday three times this season, all road games. Kickoff game against the Rams, Thanksgiving Day against Detroit, and then the Thursday night game the week after against the Patriots. All road games. They play on they play on they play on Thursday three times this season. All road games. And a six and if you now I mean the game gets about twenty plus million people watch I understand it's twelve thirty in the afternoon, but it gets over twenty million people watching in its sleep. So if you want to count the Thanksgiving game against Detroit that'll be seen all across the country, you can certainly count that as prime time game or nationally national TV game uh number six. That's the bill schedule. Uh as far uh we'll do the Dolphins right quick. The Dolphins they have uh, they have two primetime games Sunday night against the Steelers, which I mentioned it was a very eh of a game. Uh, Thursday night against the bank against the Bengals, week four. Uh, let's see, and that is a and that is a road game for them. Uh, they let's look at that. They have only wow. The the Dolphins look like they got jobbed a little bit by the schedule makers. They only have one back-to-back at home, week six and seven against the Vikings and the Steelers, yet they have a stretch from weeks 13 to 15 when they're on the road. Wow. Wow. And and they and they have a road back to back weeks, uh, weeks eight and nine, against against Detroit and Chicago. Oh, wow, and they play three straight road games weeks thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen, two in California, and then fly back east to play Buffalo, and then fly back down south to play the Packers on Christmas Day. I want to fly back up eastward to play the Patriots and then back down again to play the Jets last weekend of the season. And they, same thing. All of the AF all of the AFC and NFC Norths, their own division, and the teams that finished in last place in the AFC South and in the NFC 
West. No, I screwed that up. Teams that finished in second place in the in the in the in not last place, second place. So it would be the Texans and the 49ers. Along with all of the along with all of the AFC. No, wait. Hold on. I'm I'm confused myself. Oh no. Okay. All of the AFC and NFC Norths. Team that finished in second place in the in the NFC West, which is the 49ers. The AFC South. You know, yeah, the AFC South, which is the Houston Texans, and the AFC West, which is the San Diego, or excuse me, the Los Angeles Chargers. And they're on prime time twice. Sunday night at home, Thursday night on the road, bye week, week eleven. Uh let me see here. Let's see. Uh we go to the Bucks. They're a team of interest, right? Brady Beck, Conai. They're on TV. They're on prime time five times this year. Um Sunday night twice excuse me, Sunday night three times. Monday night once. And the Thursday night game ain't too shabby either against the Ravens on October twenty seventh, week eight. Um let's see. And they also got that game in Germany, which I, uh, which I do, which I am not fond of. November the, uh, November the thirteenth. Uh, but the, uh, but which is a de facto home game for them. But God forbid the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, fan base have three straight uh, road, excuse me, three straight uh, home games in a row from October twenty seventh to November thirteenth. Uh, when the Raven, when the Ravens and the defending champs come into town, no, 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 we gotta because because somewhere in the NFL's uh, beleaguered and screwed up, uh, money hungry, greedy mind, they think that that the that the people in Europe give a damn about NFL football when that's obviously not the case. Uh, but let's see, they get, but they well, I well I I take that back, but then I don't because I scroll up and I see they get three straight. Uh, home games uh, from September 25th, week three to week uh, the week uh, five, October the ninth against the Falcons. They host the Packers, the Chiefs, and the Falcons three straight weeks in a row, even which which is a which is a favor because the because the Bucks open up the season on the road back to back against the Dolphins, the Dolphins, the Dallas Cowboys, and the uh, New Orleans Saints. Then the, after the three straight road games, they're on the road again back to back, October sixteenth and twenty third against the Steelers and the uh, and the Panthers. Then they're home one more time back to back, Ravens, Rams, and then to the quote unquote home game in Germany against the Seahawks. Uh, then my brother have to get up at uh, nine o'clock in the morning for hopefully his uh, his head football coach at Morgan State will allow him out of uh, out of uh, film study. And uh, and weightlifting, so we can watch Drew Locke throw uh, three interceptions and and watch the uh, Bucks lose, uh, or excuse me, see the Bucks win uh, fifty-two to ten in front of uh, in front of about five million people on the NFL Network. Uh, <laughs> laugh, and that was funny. Uh, then, of course, in November the twenty-seventh, they come they come back to the states and play Cleveland in Cleveland, back-to-back road. Excuse excuse me, uh, not back-to-back road games. 
Home game against the Saints December the 5th. Fly out west to San Francisco, then back east to play the Bengals December 18th. Then fly out west again to play Arizona Christmas Day. Home again against the Panthers New Year's Day. And then on the road against uh, against the Falcons January 7th or the 8th. So the first and last game of the season, the Bucks are on the road. Their first home game of the season is September 25th. Their last home game of the season, New Year's Day, January 7th. First, and hopefully in a perfect world, you should find his way, make himself down to Tampa for December 18th's game with the Bengals and the Bucks, because we must have Brady versus Burrow one, because that is how this life shall go. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, they are on primetime five times, uh, two Monday night games, a Sunday night game, uh, the kickoff game, of course, week one. Thursday night against the Raiders, against the Raiders, December the eighth. Um, they're on primetime five games, and they and three out, but only three out of the five. Wow, NFL also screwed over the Rams too. I ain't gonna put the Rams on primetime. The Super Bowl champions in the previous season. How do you put them on? Uh, how do you put them on five times? Uh, Roger Goodell, and only two out of the five games are they're home for. No less two out of the five are on are on Thursdays. They're on Monday night twice. They don't get they don't get to play a Monday night game in their building. I understand I understand you put them on Monday night a bunch last season and the season before that, but still. They can't be home again they they can't be home against San Francisco Monday night, October third. I mean, I mean, and it, and it's a quote unquote neutral site game against the Chargers on Sunday night. So I guess so. Maybe okay. Maybe you say it's three, but I mean, really? I mean, uh, wow. I I understand. Uh, how about the Packers? I mean, they went they went to Lambeau last year. I mean, I understand the NFL loves putting the Packers on national television. During the winter time, but I mean, my goodness, Aaron Aaron Rodgers is is from the state of California, ain't he? I mean, my goodness gracious! I mean, the Packers can't can't get a nice little uh, three day vacation uh, to warm weather in Southern California and playing Zofi. I mean, come on, the uh, the Packers and Rams when they the Packers and Rams did play in Lambeau last year. Folks, I mean, my good. How many times did the, they they went there for the playoff game in two thousand and twenty? They played there. They played there again last year. I mean, how many trips do you want the Rams to make in the Lambeau Field? I understand it's Lambeau in the wintertime. But my goodness gracious! Aaron Rodgers is from the state of California. I mean, you wouldn't think he'd like to. He hasn't played in that stadium yet. I mean, come on. The heavy action theme song will still hit the same if it's Rodgers versus Stafford at SoFi as it will Rodgers versus Stafford at Lambeau under three feet of snow. Listen to me defending the Rams after they beat my Bengals in the Super Bowl. But that's but still, I mean they that that that's bad. How many how many trips do the Rams have to make to Lambeau in the in the la, in the last three years? Especially after the after the NFL went out of their way to put the Rams on television for their home games. 
last season and in 2020. That the, the, the Super Bowl champions, the back-to-back league, the planet going up against the back-to-back league MVP, we got to put the game in Lambeau for a third time. I mean, seriously? It's it's middle of, it's middle of December, folks. It will be dark. It will be dark by five o'clock in Los Angeles, and in, in the middle of December, I promise you. Heavy action still going to hit the same. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, their energy is still going to be the same. You know, broadcasting a game at at, at seventy two degrees SoFi Stadium, as it will be twenty three degrees Lambeau Field, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Wisconsin. But they open up the season uh, back-to-back at home. They're back-to-back three times this season. Weeks one and two. Weeks one and two. Uh, weeks one and two, October 9th and 16th. And December 4th and December 8th. They're back-to-back at home. They're also back-to-back on the roads weeks three and four. Uh, I'm hold on. I'm getting thrown for a loop here. Yeah. Okay. So back to back to start the season at home. Back to back road games weeks three and four. The back to back home again five and six. Bye week week seven. They alternate home road home again weeks eight nine and ten. Back-to-back on the road, 10 and 11. Back-to-back at home, 11 and 12. Alternate road, home, road for the Packers, Broncos, and and Chargers. And then on the road against the Seahawks. So their last home game of the season is their Christmas day, of the regular season, is Christmas Day against Denver. Their last two games of the year on the road. Technically speaking, because because the Charger game is at SoFi. If you're being technical about it, and they're on prime time five times, uh, and they also play. Let me. I shouldn't have gotten rid of that. They also play the their own division, the AFC West, the NFC South. And the first place winners in the AFC East, which is the Cowboys, and the AFC the AFC East, which is the Bills, and the NFC East, which is the Cowboys. So Cowboys, Bills, their own division, all of the AFC West, all of the NFC. Uh, why do I get myself confused with this? They play their own division, the NFC West, the. AFC West as well. All of the NFC South. And the first place winners in the AFC East, which is the which is the Bills, and the NFC East, which is the Dallas Cowboys. Am I forgetting somebody? I don't think I am. All of the Oh, and the first place winner the of the NFC North is which is the Green Bay Packers. Okay. And then uh the Packers, they play their own. They play their own division. Okay, first place winner. Uh, they play their own division, the AFC East, the NFC East, 
and the first place winners of the AFC of excuse me of the NFC South, which is Tampa, and the first place winners of the AFC. South, which is the which is the Titans, so they play two division winners out of the South, the Titans and the Bucks, the AFC East, the their own division, and the first place winner of the NFC West, which is the Rams. So they play three first place winners: the Bucks, the Rams, the Titans. Their own division, the A, the, the, the NFC North, and the AFC uh, East. Okay. And they get a bye, and their bye week is week 14. Open up this, uh, they alternate home, they alternate road and home weeks one through weeks one through six on the road three straight weeks in a row week seven through nine Washington Buffalo Detroit home back to back 10 and 11 road back to back 12 and 13 then alternate road excuse me alternate home and road weeks 15 and 16 against the Rams and sunny Miami on Christmas Day and then their final two games of the regular season are at home against the Vikings and against the Lions. So they play, they have a three-game road trip, a set of back-to-back road games, and two back-to-back at home. Weeks 10 and 11 and 17 and 18. With a home game in week 15, 6, 4, and 2. And they're on prime time one, two, three, four, five times. Should I do the Eagles? I didn't do them out the way. Get them out the way right quick. They are home, let's see, with their streak. They technically have a back-to-back week six and eight with a bye week in between, so I guess you'll count that one. Uh, 12 and 13, they're, they're home as well, back-to-back, and 17 and 18 as well. I'll bet they have a three-game road trip in between the two back-to-backs from weeks 14 against the Giants, 15 against the Bears, 16 against the Cowboys. And they alternate road and home weeks one through, weeks one through six. Road, home, road, home. Road home, bye week, and then they're home again to to start the crazy little loop, and then they're home road home, road again, until week twelve where it's back to back at home, three straight on the road, back to back at home to close out the season. Philadelphia, and they are on prime time. They got a four twenty five game one. They got two four twenty five games on the road. The Cardinals and Cowboys, and they're on prime time one, two, three, four times. And they do not play a home 
afternoon game until week four against Jacksonville. Because their first, because two out of the first three weeks are on the road, and their only home game through through the first two first three weeks of the season is a primetime game against the Minnesota Vikings on Monday night football. Busy program. We did just about everything. Did the NBA Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Even went back in time a week, discussed the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Adley Rushman and my Baltimore Orioles playing good baseball as of late. The Josh Donaldson, Tim Anderson fiasco. And a little bit of PJ Championship and the NFL schedule. So we touched them all on everything except uh, Game 7 of Pens and Rangers last Sunday. If you enjoyed the show, like what you heard, Please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. I'll talk to you guys later this week around Wednesday or Thursday. Until then, y'all take care. See ya.